welcome to episode 255 of Texing, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. Well, it's another beautiful day in uh, Pasadena. Sorry that we haven't seen you for a couple of weeks. Uh, I'm sitting here with Jason. And um, I think this has been more than a couple of weeks, I think, right? How long has it been? What, three, three weeks? At least. You seem kind of out of breath. Yeah, because I've been doing stuff. Yeah, so let's see. Our last show was on February 11th. Yeah, so it was almost a month Almost ago. a month. So why the long break, Jason? Well, I guess two reasons. I mean, one, I, I was under a lot of pressure. I had a lot of uh, consulting work. Yeah. That was due, that had come due. Um, as I had mentioned before, I'd, I had overcommitted myself uh, on various projects. And, uh, you know, it's the kind of thing that, you know, they're, you're working on them, but they're, they're, there's not a, a deadline, like, right away. But then it just all kind of hit. And I had some major deadlines all at the same time. And so I didn't have yeah. time to do anything. Basically, all I did was work nonstop. For the last like, month. But was it quite a month for the last two and a half weeks, two weeks or so? So you said two reasons. That's one reason. What's the other? One reason. Yeah. Well, the one reason was I, as I got one of those emails that just pissed me off about the podcast. And whenever I get one of those, it always makes me kind of lose interest in doing the show. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, you, you hear other podcast hosts and they'll, they seem to kind of blow it off. Like it doesn't bother them, but it, it pisses me off. You know, it does. I can't pretend that it doesn't. You know what I mean? So like when someone says something that's offensive to me, it's like they wouldn't say that to my face in that way. Yeah. And the fact that they do it and they do it anonymously, it, it makes me makes me angry. And then it puts me in a bad mood for a couple of days. And then I start asking myself, is it is this show worth me being in a bad mood? For a few days, it's a lot of that's a lot of productivity. I mean, is it right? It's a big productivity loose, loss. It's also just a big, just general happiness loss. It's right? a downer. Yeah, you're like, you know, if you've ever been around people who just put you in a bad mood, you're like, you, you don't want to hang out with them. them. Like, yeah. I'm not gonna hang around with those people. They just, this is, you know, I tend to avoid them. I disconnect with them, and so then it puts me in that kind of position where I'm like, you know, I don't know. I mean, you know, when, and it's too bad because. I would say the vast, vast majority of contact we have with listeners is very positive. People are very friendly. They're very appreciative of us doing the show. They usually, the emails they send are usually um, uh, informative. They're like, hey, you should check this out. Or I just want to do some, you know, let you guys know there's this other thing that exists, whatever it is. Yeah. Right. But <laughs> it's true that, like, you could, you could have, you could run into 20 people in a day who all say something really nice to you and that one person says something that really pisses you off and you're in a bad mood the rest of the day about it. Yeah. It doesn't matter the proportion, you know? And so I was kind of like... So anyway, I just started thinking about it. I was, I was busy and then I was also just kind of... You know, I just kind of had a bad taste in my mouth about the show. You know, and I, and I know, like I said, I, I know it's... I, I hear people say, oh, you should have a thicker skin and you should let it get to you but it i can't pretend it doesn't you can't help that it doesn't get to you yeah pisses me off <laughs> you know and uh i i think there's some people who are very comfortable with conflict of one kind or another and i don't do conflict very well i tend to navigate around it and 
and then less. So it's, I'm either going to navigate around it or I'm like full force into it. You know, I can't as people who kind of, you know, a lot of people who kind of like, they're kind of in conflict all the time. And they're having little spats with people, disagreements. Like it's, me. But yeah, you, you know, it's kind of like, <laughs> I'm either full force war with you or I'm going to do everything I can to be diplomatic and let things go, right? <laughs> it's like I don't have this middle ground. And uh, I don't know. So, but it's been what? I guess, I guess after having, I mean, that's what happened initially. And then I just had too much work that I just couldn't even, I couldn't take the time to do the show. Um, but now enough time is... Well, I, I mean, I have a question. Like, if, if those kind of emails keep coming, I mean, would you just want to stop the show? I mean... What are your general thoughts regarding uh, that? I don't, I don't know. I mean, um, yeah. I mean, if I kept getting, you know, emails like that, I probably would. I'd be like, screw it. It's not worth it, right? Yeah. I mean, why do I do it? I mean, you know, some people do a podcast because they're trying to make a name for themselves. It's, it's, it has some kind of a business per- career purpose. Some people do it because they actually have sponsorship and they make money out of it. Um, we do it just purely for fun. Just yep. to pass the time for fun, um, and uh, you know, that's it. And, and it's, it's a considerable investment of time. I mean, for me, I don't know how much time you put in. I think you're you, you're pretty efficient about the technical stuff that you do now. But for me, you know, I gen, I tend to try and read, keep notes on stuff throughout the week, and then I have to. And then but you also you, you when you do the show notes, you listen to the full show and. Um transcribe it that way i definitely think you could cut cut time out that way like you don't need to get so into the show when you re-listen to it i know i'm a little bit uh, obsessive compulsive or a little bit perfectionist so i like i listen so the show's an hour and 40 minutes or going on two hours sometimes i mean you know so you're listening to it and then i have to stop and then i have to like oh i mentioned this and then like okay justin mentioned this thing but he did send me a link to it so you look up Googling the link around and i start finding a, a good source for it. you know it just it takes time so basically you do the show twice every week I'd say do it like two and a half times, <laughs> you know. So it's, it's a big investment of time, you know. Um, and then when you when you when you start weighing it against uh, spending time doing other things, or spending time with your family, or it's just spending time relaxing, or spending time doing consulting work, or if you've gotten really behind in consulting work, and you're like, part of the reason I'm behind us consulting work is I should have been doing that as opposed to the podcast. Well, I noticed an interesting thing. Even though we didn't really do the show, we still had a weekly conversation. Like we still, we still had like a, you know, a 15 minute, half an hour chat every week, just catching up, seeing how we were getting on. So it's kind of like, but you, you say the reason why we do the show. I think that's part of the reason why we do the show is just, just, well, you, just to catch up and be in touch. And well, you say that I don't, well, I, 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 I feel that way. I don't feel that way. I mean, I, I, I talk to my friends regardless, right. Whether I do a show, you know, a friend of mine. No, that's what I'm saying. That's what I just said. Yeah. So, so in other words, even though we didn't do a show, we still, we still caught up. So what I'm trying to say is that the show is it's just, it's just a recording of our natural. Well, you, yeah. you've expressed concern that we wouldn't hang out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was never concerned about that. I it was like, I'm sure we'll, we'll hang out regardless. But one thing I was thinking about as I was driving over here is that, we clearly have much more interesting conversations on the show than we do in person because in person they tend to dwell on more personal issues. And I, I've just noticed that our conversations are more repetitive in person, you know, that's true. and, and they're more personal stuff. They're less like uh, general topics in the world uh, that are going on or news items or, or whatever, which are actually more interesting. 
I mean, it's actually a more interesting conversation. I mean, than I than I have with you otherwise, or that I have with anyone else. Yeah, because we cover a lot of interesting stuff. Well, it's like you know, it's it's like imagine if you prepared to have an interesting conversation <laughs> with somebody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know you don't normally prepare to have an interesting conversation you sit down with somebody and you're like hey what's going on and they tell you a little bit of what they're doing you tell them what you're doing you kind of cover a few things but it's not like is it worth mentioning what annoyed you about the email or is it not worth going into that and the only reason why i suggest that is because it might act as a filter to stop people sending in that kind of an email i you know i don't think i think it's like see, the thing is it's pretty rare right okay i mean it's rare um but uh you know, I mean, and, and I'm probably just sensitive, you know, I mean, some, some people probably, pro- some people don't, uh, no, it's, it's, it's not like any one thing, but it's like, I think some people are probably less sensitive to that kind of stuff. Some stuff just might, might, might piss me off. I don't know. Um, but, uh, I don't know, whatever. Um, all right, so let's do a show. It's been a while, so I feel like... I got a crap load of links, personally. Well, now, you say links. Now, are these are things you've been thinking about, or is it just something that tw- tw- that piqued your attention for five minutes? Well, sometimes you wrote stuff you've been thinking about, and there's something, like, you just saw. Well, I, I think stuff that piques my attention for five minutes would pique a lot of the listeners' attention, you know, because, I mean, there's a... I'm thinking of someone like Alex Gemmel, right? Most of the things that I find interesting, he would, even if it was something that was just a quick thing. Like, for example, Sprit, uh, Open Spritzer, which is a speed reading booklet, right. which is very cool. Did you see that whole Spritz thing? You know, I didn't read it, but uh, a couple of uh, friends of mine were ta- telling me about it up at, I was up in, I don't remember who it was, but uh, yeah, so I guess you can speed read like it. 50%? It's very, very good. It's very, it's very simple. So you know the basic premise behind it? It kind of highlights one word at a time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, like kind of, like a fish it, it rotates thing. one word at a time through a fisheye, and then it kind of aligns the word in a certain way. It turns one letter red, and it just flips by very fast. And um, I, I, I'm going to give you the link for it, which you can, you can put in the show notes. But basically, I found myself doing 650 to 700 words per minute very easily. And what do you normally do? I mean, like ten words a minute. I mean, I'm super slow. I'm not. I'm. Not, I'm just not. Now good. the question is, have you tested your comprehension on it, right? Because a lot of times you're like, I'm reading fast, really, really fast, really fast. Wait, what did I just read? You know, you know, you kind of get in that mode. I remember taking like, um, you know, like the uh, GRE in college, which is kind of the SAT for for high, for high school, right? When you'd read like four or five paragraphs, and then you'd have to answer a series of questions, right? And the thing was, is that. You, you, you say, okay, I'm going to read this really quickly. And so you're like reading the words and think to yourself, I'm reading really quickly. Yeah. And, but then you, then you read at the end of it, you're like, I can't, I don't even know what the hell I just read. Like the question is, do you get in that mode where you just are, are, you're so meta aware of your. I kind of know more about the article than I do when I normally, because as you correctly point out, I don't really read the articles in depth. So I don't get to see the true detail of the article at least this way i'm actually seeing i, I think i get more of, read the articles i get more of an understanding of the article <laughs> but to be honest i just i don't i don't learn that way like i'm i'm auditory i'm just i'm not really visual in that way wait a minute what's interesting to me you told me when you were younger in your high school that you were a bad student and then you dropped out of high school but then it was later when your 20s or something that you just got into reading you just started reading a ton and that's how you i did to learn it's true so I don't understand that doesn't that doesn't match with what you're saying now. So you you were an autodidact in that you learned by reading books, but now you're telling me you don't learn by reading. Well, I guess it's like I read a whole uh, I read a lot of books for a year, but I wouldn't exactly say 
they were learning books. It was just I did a lot of reading for a year. Oh, it was like fiction? Yeah, it was like fiction. But the true learning started when I started programming with the internet. And that's kind of like reading yeah. as well. It's doing and reading, but it's like doing and reading. So it's like you, 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 know, you look up on Linux, like how do you install Linux? So you are reading an article. But you're also doing it at the same time. Purpose-based reading. Yeah, like you exactly. Need to know the answer to a purpose That's a good way of saying wow. it, purpose-based reading. Whereas just kind of learning dates about what happened in history or something like that, I just don't think I'd be very good at it. You know? So do you know... So you find or quotes. Like, but, you, but the other thing is you've got a great... Like, for example, you're great with quotes, right? You, can, you have quotes from movies. Is it because you watch the movies so many times? Or is it because... I mean, Georgie, when she hears a song once, she knows the whole words. Yeah, I can't. I can't remember songs. I can't you know. remember. I cannot summon a tune to my after if I haven't listened to it within like three minutes. I can't, you know, start singing to myself at all. And I certainly, I don't know. You know, the, the reason that I remember dialogue, I think, is that if a particular piece of dialogue I find really funny or entertaining or something or interesting, I'll think about it. And if I think about it, it gets imprinted in my brain. Yeah. Right? And I think that's probably true with most people. It's like if you think about something a little harder than normal, you, you kind of burn it in. If you don't really, if you're not focusing on the dialogue. So if you're just watching a movie and you're, and you're not, and you don't stop and go, man, that's really interesting statement. That was interesting how he said that. And then you kind of, if you don't do that, then you're not going to remember it. I think that you've got a, a point about the purpose-based thing. I think that I don't remember very much that isn't purpose-based. Like, I think most of my life tends to be around purpose. Like, for example, friendships as well. Like, almost, almost in some ways, you could say this friendship is purpose-based in the sense that we have the show and, you know, I, I would say that's a pretty big motivator for me, generally speaking. Yeah. So, if it's casual reading news items and stuff, you just it kind of flows over you and it kind of might a little bit stick but it's just sort of right yeah you're not you're not you're not reading it like you're gonna take a test on it right it really doesn't stick. well you know i think they've even found in educational studies that people kids any probably any age uh, that student is that when you are looking for an answer to a problem that has that is posed or that is important to you important to solve you will remember it much better but if you, um, if you're just, if someone gives you an answer of information, like some, so for instance, I've been like trying to figure out how to explain stuff to the kids in the math team or whatever. Mm. And if you just give them an algorithm or a technique and they don't really know why they need it, it's not going to stick. Yeah. Well, actually, now that you say that, that, that reminds me of Catalyst. Mm -hmm. So Catalyst, what, you weren't there this week. So this is the first Catalyst I've missed in yeah. two years or whatever, a year and a half. I... I had no, normally the flights that I take up to San Francisco, I catch like a 10 o'clock flight at, at LAX. So yeah. I have enough time to do Catalyst, which goes from 6 to 7.30, get home, eat dinner, change, and hit to the airport. But this time I, I had to catch an earlier flight, and so I didn't have time to do it. But you were kind enough to do it by yourself, so I just let you in and set things up. And So I don't know whether we ever mentioned on the show, um, there was one Catalyst, maybe three Catalysts ago, or maybe four Catalysts ago where we were coming up to the end of the class and we were all working on a task and I wondered if there was a way that we could motivate the kids to work faster on it. And I found, I was looking through my wallet to see if I had anything interesting. Obviously, it couldn't be money, but I found a Google, um, like a, a Google promotion, 150 buck Google promotion. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so said to the class, okay, 
whoever gets this done first gets this 150 buck uh off google adwords right, right. <laughs> which really doesn't mean anything but the kids were like wow that's so amazing so anyway so they well got- the dangerous thing apart that well so colby won yeah <laughs> but he didn't find out till later that it was bogus because it was expired <laughs> it was only about so, so he was like what oh was he mad so i'm like well not that mad but i'm just saying you got to be careful about like because for from their perspective like you tricked them right right, right. and you lose credibility like this is all bs mm-hmm. so that's why i was like don't do that again because you'll lose credibility and you're not going to motivate well them. but it but in its own right it did kind of motivate them so then i thought well how about we get some toy money and use that as like a leaderboard system so well, then my my response to that, which is fine, but it has to be backed by some kind of real payoff, right? So and there's going to be a time when they dumb. can spend they can spend the money on ice cream or whatever, like right? So they'll so this toy money will translate into real ice cream at one stage in the future. At some point, you have data you haven't specified, so yeah. Well, I'm thinking you better get material with it. You better get specific with it. At some well, point. I don't know, but anyway, so you weren't there, so we so we had the toy money bank, and they they went absolutely nuts for it. Like they really loved kind of the idea of um, earning twenty bucks in quotes, uh, you know, for for completing these tasks. And Colby was really into it. And I mean, he knows that that, I mean, I, I did say that it could convert to ice cream one day. Yeah, well, as long as there is ultimately <laughs> a payoff, right? Because it's like, that's, it's, it's all, all the, the boy who cried wolf. But it was, it was, times. it was interesting because um, I gave the class an option to say, okay, continue with your existing projects or do this new project that we're doing today. And if you do the new project, you're in kind of today's race. And if you do your existing project, you can still earn cash. Oh, wait, you took them off their Pac-Man game? Well, I said... I said it's either either way, so you could. What do were they either. doing then? So basically, um, the challenge I said was to to create two because you said to me after last class with the Pac Man, I find it very difficult working on that level of stuff without actually showing them what to do. So it's very difficult yeah. for me. Yeah, right. So so this time round, I wanted to do something that was simple enough that I just absolutely wouldn't show them what to do. Yeah, because because what you did before is like you basically just wrote up on the board and have them transcribe right. it. I'm like, exactly. I don't. I'm like, I, I kept thinking you were going to have an exercise in there, but if, then I realized you were just transcribing. I'm like, they're not learning if they're just transcribing. Right. right? So I didn't want to do that. So th- that was my fear about doing the Pac-Man thing because it's just too fucking complicated for these kids. So what I wanted to do was to say, I gave them this exercise that was to say, draw two squares that are next to each other, 200 pixels by 200 pixels. One is blue, one is yellow. And then draw an orange circle in the square on the left and just make it animate and move to the square on the right. Mm-hmm. So that's what we did. We split it up into two phases. First of all, the drawing of the of the the static content. Mm-hmm. There was also a button in there that says roll. And then the second phase was to do the animation. So everyone except for one, Liam was the only one who wanted to stick with what he was doing, so he worked with his dad. Everyone else wanted to do the new thing. And they, you know, they opted to do that. And um it was great. Like the, uh, <laughs> Liam and Riley worked together as a team. They didn't want to do it individually. Colby and Sorry, Colby and Riley, yeah. And Chris said, "Chris said, yep, that's true. You know, you can you can work a contract and you can share the money. That's no no worries. Mm-hmm. Work a contract, share the money." And um, but as it turned out, Matthew Matthew won the competition. Well, to phase one. So phase one was getting to the the static data. So he was very good at looking at his old work, kind of copying and pasting his old work, mm-hmm. reimagining how that might look in the new system. Right. Um, so he won. Marco came second, but spent pretty much half the class dealing with a semicolon. Right. Uh, <laughs> syntax error. And Riley and uh, Colby, they they would, they would were really on the right track, but they were very, 
kind of you know engage with each other as well you know yeah, distracted by kind of distracted by each other by like working out like the pair programming aspect of it and but in the end they kind of had like three divs that were the right colors and squares and they didn't get to the point and they weren't kind of aligned in the right way mm-hmm. but um that was yeah, and that well, was you know the the examples of the people you talk about is is, is kind of like you can almost talk about categories of programmers as traps people fall. There, they, there's a guy who got it done fast, but he was cutting and pasting. <laughs> there was a dude who was really good conceptually, but he got stumbled. He got stumbled on a syntax error that kept him, you know, in uh, in limbo for half an hour, right? Mm-hmm. And then you had the two pair programmers guys like working quickly, getting <laughs> it, but they're just too much of negotiating and you know that sort of that sort of team bureaucracy, right? No, and, and then you, and then you had Liam who just didn't want to participate. Right, I'm not doing this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, what about um uh, uh, Sophie? So- Sophie she worked on it as well and um she she tra- she was having a go at building it with JavaScript. So she didn't get massively far, but that was her. her oh, approach. so she was dynamically yeah. creating says to the HTML. Yeah. I, try, I, I tried to drop a few hints to say we shouldn't do it dynamically, but I also wanted to let them do it their own way. I think it's better doing it dynamically. I mean, because that's how all those games and stuff are going to be done. Probably. Right? Create element. I mean, we've done a ton of it. They know how to do it. Yeah. Well, you say that. They forgot it. So the thing is... You say that, but I mean, the fact, I mean, the fact this was so simple and the only thing we got to was, was like two people, barely two people actually drawing two, two squares in a circle. Like, even though we've been working on this two years, like... thing is, they... Do they actually they, know? They anything? learn it and they forget it. Yeah. They learn it. They've done it on their own. They've completed those challenges. Yeah. They did those challenges on their own. Well, that worries... I mean, you, can't, you can't say they didn't do the challenges. They did the challenges. That's right? what worries me about... The, the the JavaScript. I mean, I just wonder if we should be focusing on one element at a time, like really get CSS down, you know, get get creating stuff on the page down, because that could also be interesting. It's always interesting for them to draw different pictures of different things. That's not really programming, though. I mean, they were doing that before. And then the, pro- the, the whole problem with all of this is that it's once a week and there's no homework. You know, they just forget. Yeah. You know, they just forget. I mean, that's just what happens. I mean, I've noticed that with doing the math team these kids you know yeah. it's like you know sure they have high iqs and they can learn stuff quickly but they forget it almost as quickly and that's just and and but the difference between the math team is that i can give them homework and they and they need to do it and they're supposed to do it whereas here it's like you just show up once a week and then sometimes you miss a day miss a week you know and it's just there's just not enough so repetition. then i would argue should it even be about learning anything should it just be about having technical fun just like Catalyst session, build robots, just do whatever the hell we want. Play games, just have fun. If you're not learning anything. Well, if they're just playing games, and I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to take the time and effort out of my day just to have to play video games. Play with robots? I could. We did last year, but you know, they get bored after a while of doing the same thing. You could, they kind of have to. I don't know. The whole Mindstorm thing, I, I think, is kind of. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I felt like they... Well, have you achieved point. the goal that you wanted with Catalyst? No. So and it's because it's... And I guess it's because there's none of... There's no, there's no... There's no homework. They can't... They fall back too far every time. You know? I mean, Colby doesn't know any more JavaScript. In fact, he knows less than he knew back in the fall. We're working on his game... We worked on his game really hard for a couple of weeks. He was more dialed in there at that time. And I feel like a lot of it has just fallen out of his brain because we just haven't hit on it hard enough. Um, I just think... Uh, okay, so 
what should we do then, given our circumstances about this? I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to decide whether I want to continue it past the end of this year because we always take a, I mean, like, like last summer, I would take a break this summer anyway, yeah. on the end of it at the end of it and sometime towards the end of May because they have uh, the, the church where we rent the room from, they have like summer camps and stuff. So we couldn't even be there for the summer anyway. And plus it'd be super hot. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm not real interested in, in doing stuff when there's no long-term impact. There's no long-term retention of anything. It doesn't really, um, you know, when Sandy was, when we first, when Sandy and I were first talking about doing this, the coach and the math team, you know, she was, I mean, she had a much more limited scope in mind that we would just coach them for this math field day event in two months or whatever, and then that'd be it. And I was just like, well, you know, there's just not enough time to make much of an impact. They're not going to learn that much in that amount of time. If especially if we're not teaching them new material and we're just praying for this one test. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I care about it, doing something with a limited scope, you know? Yeah. Um, it's like, I, I, if I'm going to put my time and energy into it, I want it to, I want it to persist. I want there to be a, you know, a significant long-term impact. So I don't know. I mean, the, now the thing is that Colby loves it. So that's <laughs> well, the problem. So why does he love it? Is does he love it because of the building or because of the interaction with the people or the, the building? Kids? Like that, the you know, building stuff. Oh, building stuff. Yeah. Um, or because of like meeting up with the kids and he loves hanging out with Marco and Liam and Riley. I mean, I think it's a little bit of all of it. I think he likes programming. I think he he likes um, uh, he likes the social aspect of it too. You know, I think he likes the fact that it's something that I do with him. Mm-hmm. Form. I think he likes that. Um, yeah, it's probably all those things. I mean, I don't ever have to go, you know, Colby with Catalyst and get him motivated to do it, <laughs> you know. I mean, he's he's always itching to go. So, and we've done, geez, how many? I don't know, 50, 60, 70 He's sessions. more into it. I mean, he's, even with soccer, he he had issues sometimes going to that. So Yeah, yeah. yeah I so. mean, he's... Um, yeah, so I don't know. I, I, you know, I really have to think about it. I mean, but yeah, it doesn't make me happy that they keep forgetting the stuff that we've taught them. That frustrates me. You know, mm-hmm. I can't pretend that it doesn't frustrate me that it's so. That I think that's okay. I don't think that's okay. I think it's kind of makes me feel like it's kind of a waste of time in some ways. You know, or it's a very inefficient expenditure of my time and energy. That's <laughs> what I feel yeah. like. You know, because it does. You know, I mean, it's it's one of the more exhausting stressful parts of my week <laughs> you know for sure you know so anyway so let's talk let's change let's just change subject a little bit sure so who is satoshi nakamura nakamoto oh well um Are you read about that or not yeah he is he is uh basically a character that really reminds me of my dad yeah he's <laughs> like i mean if that's the guy did you read the newsweek article uh, yeah yeah no i did i did yeah that's that i definitely so remember. do you think that's him or not i would like to think it is him because uh, it's it would just be so cool if there's some kind of guy like walter from fringe who just kind of went into a basement for two years and came up with bitcoin and then like was really gruff to deal with and like contacted people from the other side of the world said i'm building this thing called bitcoin I don't, i'm never going to speak to you and you're all idiots, but I'm going to help you build it anyway. And then as soon as it like starts 
starts taking taking off is like, I don't want to have anything to do with it. I don't want to speak to anyone. I'm not going to use a single Bitcoin, even though I've got 800 million worth of Bitcoin. I'm going to live in complete squalor. You know, if someone, mm-hmm. I just think it would be really cool. I, you know, I, I so I, I read that article twice, and, you know, because first I read it and then I was on a Hacker News discussion forum and then a little back and forth, people thinking that it's not really him or this or that. And I think it is him. I mean, I think, I, it's I think there's way too many yeah. Way too many. too many things line up in terms I of timing. Yeah. I mean, what's the chance of some guy with the same name who is this genius computer mathematician, computer scientist, mathematician? Who's, who's pretty much most of his career is shrouded in secrecy the, working the for the classified government. Work, classified work. Classified, yeah. Gruff, antisocial guy who wouldn't even let anyone ever see his computer. Who, who, buy, who buys train parts from England and is just going to get more and more fucked off because he doesn't have a lot of money. And every time he's got to spend forty bucks on a wire transfer, and he, and he, so he's for like he's, twenty years he's suspicious he's and paranoid and yeah. distrustful of the government and the banking institutions, um, and and the things he said about like, oh, I'm not involved in this anymore. Other people are taking, it. but then he retracts that. But then they talk to the deputies. The deputy says, no, that's what he said. Yeah, you know. Um, I, th- I think it's him and his brother saying the guy's an asshole and he'll never admit it. You'll, you'll never get him to admit it. And I, in the, you know, I think it's him. I think it's him I too. Think if I was putting money on, I mean, I, you know, obviously there's not, not 100% certainty, but, you know, if someone, if I had, um, and the old coding style, I put a $5,000 bet on that. That's him. That's how sure I am. The old coding style as well. Yeah. They yeah, like re- reverse really old re- code and he was difficult called to reverse Polish notation. There's a couple. Or, of no, no, verse, no, Hungarian notation. You know what that is when they say like STR for string, re- prefix of string. Do you, do you, are you yeah, yeah, right, yeah. So or you know whatever. I mean that's yeah. The 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 kids today <laughs> don't do that. But back Microsoft, you see the back in the eighties. Mm-hmm. You know people from eighties and early nineties. Um, if you were programming then and before then, you would use that. Because it's just to give, yeah, because to show you what it was. So because it was typed right to give you types. No. No, oh, to, to give you type. To so give you like, type, oh, so, you, so you can statically see. Type. Yeah, yeah. So you can see what it is. So, um, but there was. There's a couple of things. Just a couple of things that go against it. So I, I'm with you. Like I said, when you asked me the question, I said I really want this to be true, and I, I do think that it's true because I'm an optimistic kind of person. Well, there. Well, there's a feeling about this. Just thinking, like, how does the evidence line up? The evidence. Okay. I don't really want or not there, want. That. There, there, there was one other piece of evidence that was very cool. Was um, did you see that? It was. It was a tell HN. Um, someone said. I met him. I met him because I, I got at the beginning of Bitcoin. I told my wife who's, who has a bakery selling cupcakes oh, right. to take Bitcoin. And she and this Japanese, this old Japanese guy came in, this 50 year old Japanese guy came in and I just showed him the picture and she said, that's him. And that's like one of the, the first person to spend Bitcoin in her shop. So that kind of makes, yeah, that, you that's know, another thing that lines it, up. It is lines up. But then, you know, of course, you've, when you all, if it wasn't like they did like a lineup of people, and they said, which one is Satoshi, right? If you had like, if you had like seven old Japanese guys, would you feel to pick him out for a lineup? Because there's certain, there's been studies that, you know, that if you, if I can't remember how it works, but like if a police officer tells the person who's doing the lineup. Yeah, yeah. We spoke about this before on the show, yeah. 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 And, you know, anyway, so the, the bottom line is I, I, that is more evidence. That's not it's, proof. It's, it's just- Well, it's like Bayesian classifiers. It's like, even if you have sensors that are 
not that accurate or only partially accurate. The accumulation of all the sensors comes up, the output or the readings from all these inaccurate sensors comes up with an, an, an aggregate, more accurate reading. So even if we have various things like that, that point towards him, even if we say, well, I, I give that a 0.23 in terms of but, value as a, out of one, um, it's still worth something. The one big doubt about this whole thing is that I'm just apparently just from reading Hacker News, right? So just this is what I'm getting. This is the argument. The argument that they, that I'm getting from Hacker News is that um, a lot of the early publishings about this were written by him or someone pretending to be him, posted by the same email address or whatever, and it was very good English, and he doesn't have very good English. I mean, he doesn't have him. He doesn't speak very good English. Or he doesn't write. Doesn't very write very good English. No, that's not true. That's not not according to the his his wife. I mean, he wrote pretty well. Yeah, I mean, and, and and then of course there's speaking English and there's writing English. I mean, like I, you know, remember I've told you I have that sir, that the Linux admin that I use, who's from Uruguay. Yeah, he writes. He won't. He writes, and I would have thought that he was American. Yeah. Um, but he and I said, hey, let's talk on Skype. He's like, I I can't speak English very well. That it wouldn't. Yeah, I'm I like, guess wow, it's true. You know? yeah. And I've 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 had that before, and I think we've actually had, I've had email, um. I've definitely had email correspondence with people um, via the podcast, other things, and they said, "Oh, you know, I'd love to talk to you, but I don't. I'm afraid I don't speak very well." But you know, reading them, you, you, there was very, there was little to no indication that they weren't a native English speaker. If it's true, it's it's absolutely beautiful. Like I said, because it's just it's just like Walter walked off fringe into the real world and did something incredible. Well, it's like kind it. of the the whole Hanlon's razor. It's like the simplest explanation. It's like there's actually a guy named Satoshi Nakamoto. Right. You know, and you know, and it lines up with when he got prostate cancer, so he fell off the map for a few years, and he would call people an idiot, stop working with them. I mean, it was just all of these things just really lined up well. And uh, the three the three um writers who worked on the story all stood by it and they're like, yeah, you know, I I don't know. And you know, Temple City's just right down the street from us. So we could go meet him. <laughs> I don't think he'd talk to us. We could drive by his house. <laughs> I mean, he li- How cool would it be to get him on the, the show on texting? Which is uh, obviously right. impossible, but just imagine. Yeah, and, right. Uh, well, I get Satoshi Yakamoto and Y, the lucky stiff. <laughs> it would be the best interview ever. The two, it would just be like complete silence. The two anti, what do they call them? They're sort of um, hermits or, they're not really hermits. They're, um, I don't know, there's a term for, the, for that type, but yeah, they just... Like they go out and they do a big, make a big splash and they disappear. Well, you know, and some people, like there was a big pushback on Hacker News by people who were offended by the writer aggressively pursuing him. Yeah. Part of Lee, you know, taking a picture of his house or his car. And you know, taking a picture of his license plate was probably not cool, but I'm not really that sympathetic to that because I'm like, look, that's what writers and journalists do. You go out and you do something that changes the world. And then you just want to like go and disappear. It's like if you don't want the world to pay attention to you, don't go do something that changes exactly, the world. Exactly, don't do it. But if you go out and do something like that, you know, hey, you know, one day a reporter might show up to your house. Well, don't get your feelings hurt. That someone finds out who you are, you know. And the amount of outrage that people were, sh- were were exhibiting because of that, I'm like, you know, how many kids were just just died today because of cancer, or how many people were shot or murdered or 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 you know whatever. There's a lot more people in the world deserve sympathy than like some you know, old guy who doesn't want to answer the door. Like, who cares, really? You know what I mean? Like, how big of an inconvenience was it, right? You, you made up this little digital currency. You, you got to poke your finger in the eye against agencies which you don't like. You have 400 and some million dollars in the bank. And 
you don't want to answer the door, talk to a reporter. Wah. I don't I don't really have any sympathy. I don't really care. Well, I mean, it, <laughs> you know like, what I mean? like experience is subjective. So you're only talking about it from your own subjective opinion. I mean, Let's, you have no idea how much pain he may be going through having that experience. It could be massively, massively painful to him in a way that you can't even comprehend. Well, like I said, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. I mean, I'm, saying, I'm not sympathetic towards it. I mean, there are way many... Hundreds of millions of people probably right now have a way worse life than him. That we, should, if anybody wants to do, feel sympathetic towards, you know, you know, abused women, people, women who are raped within the past week, people who, kids who who died in car accidents. I mean, they're you know, those people who deserve sympathy. All right. You know what I mean, that's what I'm just saying. That's what I just was sort of All struck right. by how how people got so like. Well, they always know. do, don't they? I mean, te- you know, techies are techies doing comments on. Hacker news and other forums, it always ends up with flames and trolls and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, well, while we're on the, that, that, this topic, let's talk Mount Gox, the implosion of Mount Gox. Well, I just find that incredible. I mean, how did they, how could anyone build a system where $600 million is stolen? Uh, well, it, was, it wasn't 600, it was more like 400 and. Fifty million, I think, but they said six hundred in the article. Well, I read, oh, okay, okay. Well, I don't think it was. I think I, there are there's a there was a blog post written by you know I, I don't have the link here in front of me, but I'll put it on the show. He made the best article. I mean, the best. He came up with the best hypothesis that I heard, and he said it was like what most likely happened at Mount Cox, and basically, um, you know, Mount Cox did suffer um, an attack, a malleability attack in two thousand eleven lost some money, but they didn't lose 90%, right? What he said, he came through and he tracked different things that, the, that, the, that this Mark guy, the CEO had said, of Mark Gox had said on, on like an IRC channel once and it's some email reply some other time, basically saying that he couldn't because of, the, they could say anything because of US, investiga- U.S. investigation or whatever. And this guy said, look, what most likely happened is that as that U.S. authorities, U.S. Justice Department or FBI or whatever, whoever, whichever government policing agency was following this up, I think it's probably the FBI, in pursuit of the Silk Road, got a hold, they, you know, because they, they shut down, they took all of the, um, all of uh, Mt. Gox's U.S. funds out of U.S. Bank because it wasn't registered with FinCEN as a money transfer business. They already took all those funds. They probably tracked a lot of the transactions that went to Silk Road through Mount Gox, and and, and just uh, and, and and took possession of all the cold storage cold storage um, Bitcoin that was stored in the uh, safe deposit boxes of these at one or more Japanese banks, and then they slapped a gag order on Mount Gox, you know, via a national security letter. You cannot say anything while this investigation is gone, or you know, you'll you'll go to jail, which. If you if you you if you were slapped with a national security letter by the FBI, you can say nothing to anybody. You cannot talk yeah. about it, and it makes sense that they were so cagey and unclear about what was going on. But they probably kept thinking that the FBI or the Justice Department will release access to our funds, which is probably what they said. They said we will give you access to your funds, but while we're pursuing this investigation, this is tied up as part of our, you know. Evidence so you think that it's going to come back? No, well, here, this is what I'm saying. I think it still hasn't come back. I don't know when or if it will. It, 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 but 
I think that was a really good hypothesis to explain their weird behavior, some of the things that he said in some of his IRC and chat rooms, to explain why such a huge percent of his stuff was just gone, but they never admitted that it was gone, but they couldn't really explain how it why or how or why it was gone. Hmm. And it and it uh, coincided exactly around the time of the uh Mount Ga I mean the Silk Road investigation and, and shutdown. Yeah. And that is really interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I was that's like, great. that makes sense. I was like, now that so that, that means that people there's a there's there's a chance a chance that people didn't lose all their money. There's a chance, yeah. That'd be I great. Mean, but this is an evolving story, so maybe we, maybe you know as we speak, there's something on Hacker News about some new uh, piece of information. But that was the of everything I read. I probably read about a no half a dozen or more um, theories on you know malleability attack or whether they stole it or themselves or. Get hacked or whatever. Well, I'm surprised. Like, can't can't you see? I mean, if 600 million in bi- 400 million, or whatever, just a, a crap load of Bitcoin, half a roughly half a billion Bitcoin, like get gets transferred somewhere or something happens to it, can't you just see it on the blo- on the kind of history of what happens on Bitcoin? Yeah, no. So yeah, that's no. why that's why I think what you're saying could be true because wouldn't some sleuth have said, oh, this uh, this is the point in time where this much of the Bitcoin history changed and something happened here yeah so i guess what happened more recently i just this happened on friday i think um when today's sunday so just two days ago um was that uh they that they that all of the bitcoin were separated into a bunch of different wallets each with a thousand bitcoin a piece but then they're like now recombining somehow they're actually being recombined into a single wallet or something like that that was on that way they had oh that's in mount gox that or at least the wallets that were possessed by Mt. Gox that had these Bitcoins or whatever it was were being recombined. So that may not mean anything, but... Um, I was thinking about Bitcoin and thinking that the, there could be another iteration of Bitcoin, a different type of client, a different, a different type of network that's, based, that's more like the domain name system. So basically, you architect it from the ground up that every country can have their own Bitcoin currency within the system. And they all work like the domain names. So, and there's there's some kind of central authority, like there is ICANN. So, and certain countries work with that currency themselves differently, but they're all within the same technical system. So, you have like a, you know, like federated. A, they have like a UK Bitcoin. So you have a, you, basically, what you're saying is it's kind of a federated system. What is what is what do you well, mean? Well, federated, federated. I mean they're basically are associated. They are, they're broken into like sub. It's federated and associated and, and regulated differently on a per country basis so just so basically working exactly like the domain name system where you literally find the people who are going to manage that country's bitcoin you know the same the way they do the domain names well i mean so for a lot of people who are behind this it depends what your perspective means some people are behind cryptocurrencies for purely efficiency reasons um some people are behind it because they don't like central authorities managing the money Mm -hmm. that that you know there's a large percentage of the people who support Bitcoin, who have that perspective. And those people, you know, are going to be like, look, I don't want anyone regulating this. I don't want the US, I don't be, want China, I don't want Russia, I don't want anyone. It would be kind yeah. of a, a compromise though, right? Like like the, the domain name system is, it's regulated, but it's not like super regulated or is it? I don't know. It, it seems pretty to be- regulated. It seems to me to be pretty free in that anyone can get a domain name, you know, in that sense. 
Like there's a lot of freedom within the regulation, the regulated system. <laughs> I don't, I don't, yeah, you're free. Walk around your prison cell, I guess. I don't know. I mean, yeah, like, yeah, you can own your uh, domain name, but obviously, uh, you know, uh, I can, or anybody else can take it away if they wanted to. And, and, but the thing is that. Right. But the good news is we all get a domain name system that works. So it isn't, you know, wouldn't it be good to have cryptocurrency that just worked, that like it was does. integrated into society? Well, it does work. Without, you know, issues like Mt. Gox. Well, Mt. Gox is just, I mean, that's just a one exchange that went down. But that's not, that's something, that's not necessarily a flaw with the uh, the cryptocurrency itself. I'm not saying that Bitcoin or any of the cryptocurrencies um, can't be improved. Obviously, there's, there's things, there's aspects of it that probably can be improved a little bit, but you know, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think saying it, 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 it's, you know, did, did you, um, did you see that there was, there was uh, someone who had made a call, there's some senator who was pushing to have uh, Bitcoin like outlawed or something like this because it was involved in like nefarious things, like the government can't, can't track it and a lot of uh, illegal things are, are transacted on stuff and then this congressman came out and he said the same thing but in place of saying bitcoin he said dollar you know cash transactions yeah yeah and it was absolutely right yeah you know it's absolutely right it's like yeah you know the government can't if i go and spend 20 dollars the government can't you know pay attention to the, you know that's what know i said that. in my blog post about it you i said the exact same thing you said what exactly that you can track cash as much as you can track bitcoin it's a ridiculous argument yeah so um Okay, know. but I, I do have one other. Th- okay, just final thing to say uh, about Bitcoin. Bitcoin. I know we've yeah. been talking about it a long time, but I've discovered a fantastic website called CryptoTrader.org. Have you seen that? So CryptoTrader.org is a very nice piece of uh, software itself, but basically it's a system that allows you to build um, using a kind of JavaScript language, uh, trading, you know, automated trading patterns. Yeah, it's like Quantopian, and, and you can back back test them as well, mm-hmm. and then you can sell them. Mm-hmm. to other people so you can like sell them for like 50 bucks 30 bucks a month or whatever oh, cool. and it will manage it will tra- trade through i think bitstamp and uh mount gox in theory yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah so so i would recommend tra- uh, crypto traders at all because that looks pretty cool if you're interested in doing automated bitcoin trading well you can do automate on any, all of them so you can yeah yeah well they, they all have bot they all have apis and so people have you so know, but you have bots. to write you have to write a bot right yeah, but I mean, you know, you're going to write JavaScript there too, right? You could write your PHP or Java or whatever. You know, you can write to any of these exchanges. It's just this set of sandboxes that, and I guess you backtest it. it. creates a little bit of, yeah, I guess it creates a sandbox for you to do it in. But sure, you could download, uh, you know, a Bitcoin time series data or any of the other cryptocurrencies and you just write and trade. And they do. There's a lot of bots that trade on a lot of these exchanges. They're very... They're very bot heavy. I mean, just like any any trading environment, it's going to have a large portion of the volume is actually going to be bot generated. Hmm. That's you know? cool. I mean, just because it's it's uh, you know because it's less it's more efficient <laughs> to have yeah. your bot do it than you do it if you have like certain rules or things that you you know triggers that are going to make you decide to put on a trade or not. You know, hmm. so yeah. So let's talk. Um, let's talk info. Oh, okay. So I think it's time to put any food to rest, officially. Yeah. I think it's time to uh, put a bullet in its head. I Agreed. Mean, this thing was dead a year ago, a year and a half ago, and you just let it walk around like a zombie. Um, and it's just burning up our 
our our cash and mm-hmm. it's just sort of you know it's just a distraction i mean it's, it's it's too bad because it was it's a it was a workable concept i thought we had a a nice little domain a nice little brand concept i think the site worked pretty well for a version one um sort of mvp but as as we've said before all you know the the fundamental problem is for a company like this a product like this you need to have somebody marketing and selling and somebody building and we had two people who wanted to build which is one person too many <laughs> most of the time and nobody really wanted to market and sell which is one person too few and uh you know we kind of we talked about it. we won't have to rehash it but that was obviously you know the uh the central issue and uh David um, Wasmer, who was a listener, approached us um, back in uh, October because he heard heard our call out on the show that you know, hey, maybe we can find out, bring in a third partner who wants to do the sort of the, the marketing, growth hacking kind of stuff. And uh, you know, we had a I had a handful of conversation. I talked to him more than you did, but I had a handful of conversation with him. He's a really nice guy, smart guy. Um, you know, kind of like your typical young startup. You know, twenty. I think he's probably. If I had to guess, I don't know exactly. I guess late twenties, you know, how to code, but spending a lot of time thinking about and reading about all the marketing side of things. Really wanted to do a startup and thought this would be a good way to kind of, you know, get some experience actually doing the business side of a product as opposed to just writing code. And so we wrote up a little, uh, you know, one page legal agreement, and you know, he would get um, basically he would get five percent. For every thousand dollars of revenue, monthly revenue, he would generate. So if he, had, so if he had, and he only had to hit it once. So if he generated, you know, one thousand, he'd have five percent. Generated two thousand. So if two months later he had two thousand dollars a month, he'd have ten percent up till he got thirty percent. Mm-hmm. And uh, then, which well, of is course, the, very fair enough. I thought, you know, all you had to do is get up to six six thousand dollars a month. You know, a third of the company. And then of course, you and I were like, look, and you know, we're going to be very flexible if you want to try and get some funding and you know Justin and I'd be more happy we're more than reasonable about getting diluted and depending on our our role if our role is inactive and you're more active then we'd rather own a piece of it and have it see it go you know whatever but as it happened I mean he had various um let's say personal issues that took it took his time that were out of his side of his control and you know thing is, is that he has a wife and kids and I can tell from personal experience that having a wife and kids and a full-time job leaves you with very, very little time and energy to do anything else. And I think he felt he didn't quite understand um, how little time he had, you know, you, you kind of get this feeling like, oh, you know, because I remember she said, oh, I could probably do, I already said this, I, he probably may not remember this, but he said, I, I said, well, how much time do you think you put in? He's like, oh, I could probably do like 20, 20 hours, a, hours week. a week. 20 hours a week. I was like, yeah, I don't know. I'd like, look, if you could put in 10 hours a week, I would be great. You know, if, if you put in, you know, you know, six or seven hours during the week, a few hours on the weekend, that would probably be enough to make a big difference. And uh, he was like, yeah, okay. And but I think what happened is he just reality hit and, you know, he put some time in, he, he contacted our experts, tried to get an understanding of like what they, what worked for them, why they use the service, what they wanted to see more of, et cetera, et cetera. He, um, he spent some time, you know, I guess he did some recoding of the site, although we never saw it cause he never really pushed it out, but he, he kind of wanted to recode it so that he could have kind of a marketing version of the site as well as the sort of application version. 
But I think somewhere along the lines there, he just kind of, um, you know, with additional obligations from work, he just didn't have time and it just mm. fizzled out. Yeah. And uh, I know I so I sent him an email, um, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. And I'm like, so you just want to call it <laughs> time of death? Yeah. And he was like, yeah, I mean, he felt bad because I think he was getting ready to send that email and uh, which is what he said and he basically saying the same things that i'm saying now which is that i don't think he he didn't quite realize how little time he'd have and how hard it was and i think also um he ran into the he ran into the issue that you talk to people and he and you get discouraged because people say well why don't you just use this other product why don't you just do this you know which is part of what happens when you have to do a startup is you have to persevere through doubt and um sort of a headwind coming at you where people say oh like like if you didn't plug you people like well, why don't you just hoot suite, hoot suite, there's never going to be a perfect yeah exactly you're never going to have a situation where people say oh that, you know that's you've done the perfect thing oh I mean, this is amazing no one else has done yeah, it of course yeah. i would use it you know anyway so long story you know in summary um dave just didn't have enough time um to make it to, to, to make an impact, to do anything with it. And, uh, um, and I frankly, I, I'm just sort of over it. I don't really want to like spend time. I, I don't really, you know, and I, I was doubtful of this even like a year and a half ago when we were first talking about like, well, you know, you hired Sarah and she was going to do a little bit or we're going to, it's like either you full force a hundred percent doing it or you're, or you're not because of this, the sort of like doing it at like, you know, kind of one fourth effort, you know, like, well, maybe something will happen. You know, <laughs> maybe something magical will happen. It's like, something magical never happens. Magical things only happen to people who are going at a full force. I and um, had we had a moment there earlier on, right when we launched it, and had one of us been really interested in doing the marketing sales side of it and was building it, we probably could have done something with it. But, agree, but yeah. and, we, and we had like a two-month window there we were early. There really wasn't anyone else doing it in this space. And, you know, it's just all about momentum and energy. And then when we kind of lost that and it kind of fell into this phase of just inactivity, then it's just, you know. Yeah, no, I, th- I agree. That's a good synopsis. And, um, yeah, I think I'm, I feel the same as you. I'm ready to, I'm ready to let it go. I mean, there's other things. And, but also I, I think it's just true of anything. Like you can't get any business without some sort of major focus on it. Like that side projects are really difficult, especially when you have one, like for example, working with Digidoo right now, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a really hardcore focus of mine. I'm not quite sure how I would be able to successfully do some other side business. I don't think you would. I mean, you'd even mentioned to me, a number of months ago like oh i still kind of want to do a little side press i'm like you don't have any what are you talking about because every time i'd run into you you look absolutely exhausted and burn out from did I'm like with what energy like how right. you know this isn't like with plugio like two three years ago when you were like you were doing consulting but then you also you had time energy i mean it, it, Digido was sucking all of your time energy you had nothing else that's true that's it so the rest of the time should be spent just relaxing or with um Georgie and and the and the and the baby, and the, the new baby. baby, yeah, and it, dude, like once a baby's born, forget about it. Like <laughs> you're not gonna, you know. I mean, you're gonna. There's a whole another, you know, fifteen hours of your week, twenty hours a week. That's just gonna be on not, that unavailable. On that note, I just want to say thanks so much to everyone who commented and sent in emails 
offering congratulations regarding the baby. That was really, really kind. And uh, it's, it's, it's been really nice to see all the support that, that we've gotten from the listeners. Thank you so much. So, and you told me it's a boy? You it found is a out? boy. It is a boy. All right. That's great. Yeah. So, how, how, many, um, how many weeks is it now? Coming up on 19. When's the due date? August 8th. Okay. I guess it's still a long ways away. So. Yeah. So just over five months now. Great. That's awesome. Yeah. So I'm going to be really interested to see. <laughs> Justin with a son. I think, well, I just think. <laughs> Justin with kids. I think he's just going to kind of disappear. Oh, you think? That's how it's like a lot of people. It's like they have kids and they just kind of disappear just because between work and kids, like you just. Well, you're going to, I mean. I'll still be on the sh- doing the show with you, so yeah, do the show. But I mean, I, I mean, you'll you're <laughs> it, it, all of Justin will be sucked up <laughs> between Digidoo and <laughs> you know, baby. Like you'll, yeah. you'll be kind of all uh, all spoken for. But that's, that's interesting. That's just how this how it is. So, and how's our things going with Digidoo? I'll be happy with that. I was thinking about this. You know, I am so glad that I'm an older dad, like 45. You know, I mean, it's the best decision I never made. Because I kind of feel like, you know, I've lived my life for me, right, mm-hmm. for 45 years. And now I'm, I'm kind of ready to, like, bring someone else in there, you know, live a little bit for someone else, not just me. Because, you, I mean, as you've said so yourself, like, you, you, don't, you don't really get very selfish about your kid. Like, you kind of give of yourself to your kids, right? Mm-hmm. It's just a natural thing that happens. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's quite good. And it's, it works out quite nicely as well, like, as as you're kind of moving on to your kind of second half of your life, having this focus of someone else. Uh-huh. I like that idea. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's always, it's, it's good. It, it's always good not to have kids before you're ready because <laughs> those people usually tend not to not to be the best parents. Right. Because they're, they're still too self-focused. You know, they're not willing to sacrifice for the kids is, which is what kids need. Yeah. They need their parents to sacrifice for them. Um, it doesn't matter if you're tired or at your energy or whatever. The kids need your time. They need your focus. They need your, you know, whatever. And, um, yeah, I, so for me, it was when I was 34. I remember Sandy and I were out to dinner. I still remember the conversation and we were, and I, and I just, it was right after the new year or something. And I just, I remember turning to her and I said, you know, I think I'm ready now. I, we were talking about kids a little bit. I said, <laughs> you know, I think I'm ready. I think I can do it. Like a couple years, a year before that, two years before that, I just, I wasn't ready. I was like, it still freaked me out. Like it, yeah. it still felt like that feeling, not quite to the extreme, but like you're just a couple years out of college. Like the idea of having a kid then was just like insanity. Like, whoa, like it was like somebody just locked you into a jail, jail cell or something. Yeah. Um, I remember, I remember there was a, I think it was my senior year in, high, in college. My girlfriend at the time thought she was pregnant. Mm. And I went away. I remember getting on. She told me that morning, and it was like an hour before my soccer team. We were going on a. We were flying uh, to our weekend, like going to go play a couple soccer games against other universities, <laughs> right? So we we're I th- yeah, and so I think we were going to uh, play Carnegie Mellon and Case Western or something like that. And I remember just being in the whole, the whole on the flight or on the bus, just being like. Oh my God. Like my life is over. Like it was just <laughs> like, it was like the wor- worst thing that I could think of happening. Yeah. Uh, you know, almost. I mean, that's how un- and what ready age you I then? was. How not ready I was. What? What age were you then? 22. Yeah. 22. I mean, you know, and 
of sort of the scale of readiness, right? Is this gradient that, and then you had a point, you know, where you're like late twenties, early thirties. It's it starts to once you hit thirty, it's like doesn't it seem so crazy. It's still like whoa, I wish I wasn't ready. But I hit, you know, hit around thirty four, and you know, Sandy and I had been married like five years, um, you know, and it's like I had reached a point where I just I knew who I was, I knew what I liked, I knew what my life was going to be like. It wasn't this sort of like this, you know to be opened box of like mystery and you know it's like what well i don't want to do anything that's gonna prevent you know all kind of interesting exciting things from happening it's like i, I pretty much know what i'm gonna do once yeah. you got to pasadena you were happy and you never wanted anything else pasadena and that was it you knew what you wanted out of life no not really what are you talking about? You were even here. I didn't think you'd like here. You would say how much you love Pasadena. Yeah, but it doesn't have anything to do with Pasadena. Right? Oh, okay. It had to do with just, I think it had to do with just kind of coming to realization of of uh, what I wanted. Okay. You know, but. Were you so, living in Pasadena at the time? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just but saying. I don't. <laughs> but, you know, it's funny. I was talking to um, one of the guys up at Uber uh, yeah, so I was up at Uber for a few days and, uh, from Wednesday through Friday and, um, Friday afternoon, it was kind of like, you know, everything was, everybody was leaving his clothes and we're, they have this, these, this 10th floor is the sort of the cafeteria area and they have the couches. So we're hanging on the couches, chilling and we were talking about kids and different things. And, uh, he's like 27, 28. And he's like, yeah, I don't know if I want kids. I'm like, look at 27, you probably don't. And in fact, I would recommend not <laughs> like you're, you're, you know, you have a girlfriend, you're kind of living this single or single and dating life. You, you know, your, your life is spent you're either at work or you're just kind of going out and restaurants and bars and partying and stuff. I said, and, and so the idea of having kids or having to go home and deal with kids sounds like a nightmare, but another five to eight years of going out to eat, there's only so much sushi you can eat. There's only some bands you can watch play. There's only so much you know, drinking you do before you just, after a while, you're like, it's not that you don't enjoy it, but you're just like, I, you know, like I've kind of... What's next? I've done it, right? You just, eventually you've just kind of done it, that you're ready for something to live a different life a little bit, a little different experience. And of course, it doesn't change, it doesn't, you also have the added impact of like your wife, who very likely is like pushing for it and, and kind of pushing you in that direction. But uh, I was reading a blog post, and this is another time when I should have all the stats in my head. But they was talking about uh, the millennial generation, and it was saying that um, that's the eighteen to thirty-three year olds. Yep, it was saying that they, you know, generally speaking, there's going to be a lot less faith in things like marriage and that, and bringing up families and things like that with this generation. They're just not they're not into it in the same way. Well. I was just listening on uh, Freakonomics. There was they're talking about how marriage, the fewer and fewer people are getting married. Yeah. Um, but there are fewer divorces as well, like proportionally. Like fewer people are getting divorced now. It peaked in the late 70s, early 80s, like 79. Because people were marrying at 21. Because people had gotten married too early, and now they became socially acceptable to get divorces. Yeah. You know, to get a divorce. So it, it maxed out around that time. And then... Um, then it's, so people started getting married later and they were marrying people who were more closely aligned in terms of their interest, shared interest or life goals or whatever, as opposed to like, I mean, 
you don't really know yourself that well. Most people don't want to 23. Do you think that internet dating has anything to do with it? Because by the time, because like they say that, you know, a significant percentage has started to, people met online through some kind of online form, right? So if, if you consider that when you're meeting online, you're already matched up by quite a few things like interests, you know, all the different things that you like, you, you're interested in. So it's kind of matching, it's doing a better job of matching people than random, random meets in a bar. So that could be contributing to less divorces. No. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think, I don't think uh, the proportion of people that are marrying were found each other online. I still think that's a, that's, um, it's a new a, thing. I, 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 it's more than a rounding error, 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 but it's not a significant percentage of people okay. met online. So I don't think that's affecting anything. I think it's just merely people getting married older because people get married older. They're more conscience, conscious of who they are and who the person is that they're marrying. And it's less just, it's more, it's less. They've already just, been let down enough times and they've, they've, they're, they're like compromising by this stage. So like when you, you know, when you, <laughs> when you're 30, you've been let down already on three or four relationships. You're like, oh, fine. All right. I guess I'll accept Well, that wasn't this. really what I was going to say. I don't know if that's that's your perspective. <laughs> I think so. They're like, I guess I'll accept this kind of behavior now. You well, know, as you grow older, you become more tolerant, right? You accept well, more. maybe a little more tolerant. I mean, you also become a little more understanding. I mean, I think when you're – but people are just driven by hormones so much in their early 20s. Right. Right? People just want to get laid. I mean, guys anyway, right? right. And, and I think um, – you know, you get a little older, you're, 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 you become a little more, you have a little better judgment, <laughs> you know, you're thinking a little more clearly about that kind of thing. I mean, I know for myself, I definitely was thinking more clearly on that topic when I was 27 than when I was 22, for sure. <laughs> right. Know? So, um, I guess I can't speak for anyone else, but I can say from my, my experience, but I think that's part of it. But, you know, speaking of like generations, I'm, I'm reading a, a book right now called, uh, I am a mathematician. It was, it's by, um, Norbert, uh, Weiner. He was this, one of these very prolific, um, mathematicians. He's just did a, he did a ton of, uh, he had, he had, uh, results in all kinds of fields of math and, uh, interesting character, but, um, he is one part he's talking I just read it last night it was this passage where he's like yeah he's like the new generation they expect so much and they don't want to work for it and all this kind of stuff and because he's like he this and he's talking about 1940 yeah. <laughs> like the people in the 20s or 19 the t you know 1910 I mean they really knew how to work and they worked hard for you know what they what they got but the the kids now in the 30s and the early 40s they just expect everything to be handed to them well, you know? i was having that discussion with george's dad actually last night he was just saying you know you this generation is just getting everything's just getting so fast like how fast do you need things like how much faster can they go i mean isn't everything fast enough like you you know you get stuff online and you you, you go through your mobile i was like he's like what's the reason for being for it anyway like why and just like well it's just optimizes life experience but actually you know how fast can you go you can you can go pretty fast like you can go up to the speed of light you know what i mean like we've got a long way of getting of speed getting of faster thought, and the, faster I guess the speed of thought the speed of thought like there's so i mean he, he from his perspective it's like we are teched out you know we are teched out like he's he, as he says i'm an analog man this is you know we're teched out we can't go any further but i'm like i don't know that's a long way to go really yeah. everybody's scratching the surface <laughs> yeah though just just beginning i mean I, want, I mean, do you think when you're like 65, do you think you're going to think, 
oh, this generation, they're just going too far. I mean, are you going to have those perspectives? Or? I'll probably think the world is going fast because I'll be slowing down so it'll seem like it's speeding up. But I think I'm at least cognizant now that it's all relative and every generation thinks the generation after them is lazy and self-indulgent and, you know, moving too fast and that the irresponsible. They always think ill of the generation that follows. They always look down. Is on there like a, a reason why? It's just, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just a relative change in perspective. Like that was something else about the the, uh, the millennial generation. They're much more uh, democratic. They're much more democratic. Like if, if previous generations have been more Republican, this generations are generally more. Where did you get this uh, information? It was. I'll have to send you the blog link after the show. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, first of all, what, what, on what, most what, issues, although not some issues, social, you know, social issues like you know, gay marriage and abortion and things like that and legalization of marijuana, those kind of social things. It's definitely becoming more socially liberal. Um, right, right, right. Feelings, that, about, about, yeah. feelings about taxation and things like that. Stuff's always in flux. And who's who or what's a Republican, who or what's a Democrat is in flux. Because certain things that are Democrat or Republican now were kind of on the other side of the fence. Well, the article you know, was 30, saying that 40 years they ago. found it difficult to differentiate between Democrats and Republicans. Yeah, well, if you know, if you if you had looked at Romney and Obama and their platform, I mean, they're like, you know, they're a hair's breadth away from one another and, on their issues. I mean, you know, I mean, in, in terms of how wide the range that they could take, what was the actual range of debate was minimal. They're so similar. Um, and that's just because that's kind of where the uh, the the you know the meat of the center of the of the electorate is right, um, but uh, anyway, I guess that uh, I'm already anti the next generation, certainly regarding coding, because there wasn't there that one coding house where people were learning to code in three months, and I took offense to it. I was like, that just seems too short for those people to learn to code. They can't work after three months, and that's just you're me. talking about like the the, the uh, code academy or whatever. That's just, yeah. that, that's just me being a curmudgeon about that. Well, you took offense to it because <laughs> they, you you felt like they were belittling what you knew. That's well, pro- first of all, you well, that's over- what that's it though, isn't it? That's first, a curmudgeon viewpoint. It is, but well, okay, I, I mean. You could be curmudgeonly about anything that's different or changed, but you, I mean, it was offensive because you're basically saying, oh, I can learn your job in three months. But that's not the thing. You misinterpreted the whole thing because that's not what they were doing. They were going to make you ready to be a junior a developer, helper, a, a junior, junior developer. developer in a technical organization who will need many months of mentoring and oversight and guidance before they are productive full staff developer you're meeting like you kept saying <laughs> the conversation we're sitting there with cj and you're like well how are you going to go out and consult after just three months i'm like who's talking about that who says anything about they're going to go out and be an independent consultant in three months okay i want to ask your advice on something um do you think that it's a good or a bad idea for digidoo to take on a tech intern in the summer we've got so we've got five people on the team we're like very focused on building stuff do you think that there would be even room for a tech intern, or do you think it's just asking for trouble? Well, just by your asking, you're completely leading the witness here. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I can tell you what you want me, you want me to say. No, no, I want to hear what you, I, the way you, what, the way you, <laughs> the way I can tell how you feel about it. <laughs> you think it's a totally ridiculous. Yeah, I'm, waste op- of I'm time open and to being. I'm open to being, uh, but persuaded. Since I'm not very easily led, yeah, <laughs> it doesn't really matter how you pose it. I guess. Um, I guess it really depends on. Those kind of things can be a distraction, but if there are things 
that are lower end on the technical scale that are kind of time consuming that could be easily sort of scheduled and set up that they could do, then it wouldn't be a terrible thing. I mean, documentation, documentation, but that's not really, that's a technical writing. That's a different thing. So if you hire, if you had someone who wanted to be a programmer and you have to do technical writing the whole time, they're going to be like, this is not what I signed up for. Right. Um, I mean, if you had somebody who's like a sysadmin stuff, I and mean, there's probably a little system administration stuff. Um, I mean, you have to be careful because a lot of times you need, what you really need is a competent sort of technician and you're hiring a, an incompetent uh, sort of white collar developer, right? You have somebody who wants to think about, do more interesting stuff, but they're not really competent to do that stuff, but not really that competent to more technician oriented stuff. And, but you don't want to pay them. So it's, you think it's about the, um, the intern? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, just it really depends. They, either way, you need to make sure that what you want them to do, if there's something that you want to get out of it, which I'm assuming there is, that they have the competence and willingness to do that thing. I don't know. I mean, I just uh, one landed in my lap uh, from an email that, ca- that came into the company. And seemed like he he's had a couple of experiences at doing QA and stuff, and uh, he wants to get into coding. Does he want to do QA? Uh, no, it d- 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 just didn't really say. Just said, "I want to be an intern." <laughs> so, yeah. I, so I don't know whether it's kind of worth thinking about or not. I don't know. I, I think um, I think at a company your size is probably a distraction. Mm. I mean, unless there were things that you're that you can think of that are sort of intern appropriate that are also. I mean, we're basically trying to do hardcore problems like dealing with syncing and like multiple servers and highly distributed architectures and like. RabbitMQ and uh, and all that kind of like hardcore stuff. I feel like I would be spending a lot of time just kind of handholding and you know just it wouldn't really be. Well, that I would thing. think you dealing with the intern would be a complete mistake. You'd have to have somebody else dealing with them because you already spend too much time managing as it is and not enough time doing what you need to be. Well, doing. I don't want to knock out the productivity of any of my great guys. So I think it's probably a mistake at this point. <laughs> I think I'd put it. At t- I'd put it at a company that has at least you know twenty. 30 developers, not five. All right. So maybe I was just doing a sanity check with you. Maybe I had already made a decision. Yeah, i pretty clear you had. All right, fair enough. All right. Um, um, okay, so... so well, I want you to... You know, you guys... There's a while back, you guys implemented Node for some stuff, and then you were asking me a while back about using... You, you had some performance issues, and you wanted to use the profiler. You ended up using the profiler to profile some performance stuff. Yeah, we did. So actually what we found out uh, was that... Um, there was some part of socket IO that was broken. Really? So, which just hasn't been fixed and some kind of memory leak in socket IO itself. Really? And, wow. um, you know, we basically manually hacked it. Did you? Yeah. Well, you know, you know what the leak uh, Udi did? did it. I don't know. I don't know what he did. Interesting. Yeah. That's Udi, cool. right on the comments. He always listens to the show. So, Udi, right on the comments. Uh, so, he used the profile that Guy and I created. Yeah, he did. I think so. Yeah, I think he did. I mean, so Very I think, cool. Udi, please, could you write up the story of what you did to fix our um, node problems on on the on the comments? And the, and the good news is, is that I'm his boss, so he's going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, anything, uh, anything new or exciting that did you do? Any technical that you can share? I will say that we had originally been ma- I'd originally been managing everyone through my um, text file. Then right. I moved to Sifter. 
Right. Well, that, the, big, the, the big ass text file right. didn't scale to managing. Then moved to Sifter, and then it just doesn't. It just wasn't very good at like the full gamut of managing people. Um, I think Sifter would be good for like a personal project, your own little side project, or maybe if you had two two people, two people, two, yeah, two people kind of thing. So, but then we, so then Jira, we've been now for the last few weeks, and Jira, I, I just in my mind mentally had a block about Jira. I always thought of it as like, you know. I, I put it in the same boat as like J2E, like highly enterprise, you know, very, very mm-hmm. super, super enterprise and just really heavy and like Microsofty. But actually they've, they've really changed it because the old UI used to be very clunky, okay. but they've really changed it. They've, they've modeled it. It's like, you know, Apple moving from iOS 6 to iOS 7. Like it's just really light and it's nice and it's, it's fast and you can get an on-demand version before you could only install it on your server. Okay. So the on-demand version, obviously they've optimized the speed of it. It's really, really great. I'm so, so happy with it. Like, so I, I think that it's, it kind of enables me to manage the team of four in a very efficient way. It's got great tracking so you can see what everyone's working on, what everyone's done. Enables you to, to log time so you can get like burn down charts and see, you can estimate planning, all that kind of stuff. And that's so, been a big challenge for you guys is yeah, to come up with like, some estimate on how long things are going to take. Exactly. Because, well, like, so yeah. we, well, for example, the one issue that we had is like Matt saying, well, how, how is it that like every time you say this is going to take a week, it ends up taking a month? Like what, what's the deal with that? Because <laughs> I'm a software developer. And that's what software developers do. So the great thing about Jira is you can see, okay, we put the task in for seven days. And as we work on it and work on other stuff, we know we've got the specific amount planned for that sprint. But we keep on adding new stuff. This task keeps on getting much bigger, bigger and bigger and bigger than we thought. And it keeps on splitting into subtasks. And you can see it all happen. So what's supposed to happen in the sprint planning is you start off and you plan, you know, I don't know, like 150 hours between four people. Mm-hmm. And you're supposed to have a red line at the top that just goes down right. for the sprint and just ends up on zero. Well, our sprints, <laughs> it starts at 150 hours and then it just kind of goes straight and up a bit. And straight and up a bit because just new stuff keeps on getting added in that we need to do because and you can see that new stuff has been added. You can well because every time, well because what will happen is I'll get a call from the tester and he'll say teachers are reporting this new issue. I'm like okay, so we've got to deal with that new issue. I take it. We talk to the tech team. We say right, this is going to take probably six hours. We have to put it into the sprint. And when you when you drag it into the sprint, it says. It, it, there's a pop-up that basically says you realize that you're adjusting the size of this sprint, right? You realize that, don't you? Right. Yeah, yeah. So you click OK, and it goes, "All right, fair enough." So then it changes the red line and, and kind of makes that. So go Matt, home. who's this? Who's the president or whatever? Does he see that? that yeah, exactly. He can see that. Yeah. So, so he now can he's see- getting a sense of like, okay, so that's how what's happening. Right. Right. So so basically, it's just it's dilution. Really, is what's happening. Dilution of more work, and that's basically well, the inclusion of more work, right? Yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah, well, that's good. So Jira, Jira's a big win. It's a, it's definitely a big win. Yeah, I like it a lot. Um, in terms of the the stuff that we've been working on, well, we've been building out the grade book. Uh, I think myself and Miko have spent most days just all day with each other, just working on data analysis mm-hmm. <laughs> and getting the grade book right. It's a, it's, it's a very complicated thing. I think I told you before, it's, yep. it's even more complicated. Once we'd rolled it out, we'd realized it was even more complicated than we thought it was. There was different facets. Like, for example, you know, to keep percentages correctly, as you, because our, our hierarchy structure goes from subject to unit to course lesson. As you went up 
it, the percentages were kind of going down because there was more work potential assigned to the students. So we had to think through that and very carefully work out how to retain the same amount of it's work that you've turned in essentially that you need to keep on weighing. Right. So that, that was the trick. And so anyway, that's, we've done a lot of work on that. And the UIs, like for example, highlighting and annotations, we've been working on that and making that work and copy and paste. There's a, there's a beautiful one, copy and paste. Mm -hmm. Did you know that copy and paste just with JavaScript, you just can't do it. I mean, you can, you can do it in, in, a, in a few browsers on a few platforms, mm -hmm. but if you want to write a, a global generic copy and paste solution that hooks into the actual clipboard, you yeah. can't do it right. because, because it's too security focused. Right. So I just, I wrote like an internal copy and paste system yeah. so that basically they click on a paragraph and then it does a little pop-up. It says, do you want to highlight this text? Do you want to copy this text? <laughs> right. So they click the copy button, then it kind of blows up the text. It lets them drag across them and then that is just tracking their finger against the divs yep. and it's putting in the blue, blue, um, this, this was work based on work from Guyon, by the way, he did the original version. Yeah. So, and you know where that comes from? What? No, where? Of course, this is all from the uh, text editor that he and I wrote for Prezo back there in 2006. Go. So you wrap up every word in a span? Yep. All right. So that, so that work yeah. that you did. Has paid off. <laughs> <laughs> that work that you did has ended up in Digidoo. 2014. Wow. So, um, yeah, so basically we select the words and then we just grab them into the into a kind of a clipboard in mm -hmm. quotes. And then any text field, we just atta attach an event that says, if the clipboard's full, then show a button, pa paste text. Mm -hmm. So we've got our own little internal clipboard that's completely bypassing the, uh, the, the kind cool. of regular stuff. And that's it works great. very nicely, yeah. So Guyon has been doing a little work with you? No, it is from before. That's from before. It's from yeah. From basically, that was the very first uh, work that he did. And we we haven't used him since then. Okay. Sorry, guy. And I, I mean, apologies about that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. But that work was very good. Oh, Thank cool. You. Well, yeah. that's that's great. That's great. So, um, I used to say. So I was just up at Uber, uh -huh. the last few days, and so they've rolled out. They've mostly rolled out a new version of Godview. Um, oh, this is your new version. I no, I didn't build it. Oh. There were three other, three or four other guys working yeah. on it for the past, you know, however many months, um, and it doesn't do everything that the original Godview does. I mean, it's probably like, you know, maybe it does sixty or sixty percent of the functionality, but it's pretty slick because it's all streaming as opposed to polling. Oh wow! And it's more uh, scalable. I mean, they have it's cooler graphics. I mean, it's it's prettier because they had a designer work on it. Oh, nice. You know? Uh, and it always helps when you have a designer involved. And I'm like, why didn't I get a designer to work with me? You know, it's not fair. But um, so they've got it. Uh, but even then, they're still running to major scaling problems trying to get, you know, you have like in San Francisco and you have like 1,200 cars driving around on this map. You know, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's hard. It's hard. They're running into a lot of difficulties, even with all of the high powered back end system support they have now. And, redoing it from scratch so it but it reminds me of i'd see i'd seen stuff like that happen in the trading industry where you'd have some kind of app that was built to solve a simple problem and then it grew and grew and it became a thing but then they wanted to create this new version that was like going to be like you know whatever that was called this was the xyz this was the xyz killer right and they would yeah. have all these developers on it and work for months and months or years and it would still come out and really couldn't kill off the old one <laughs> you know because the old one just had so much functionality and it was so reliable Huh. You so know? they're still using both God views yeah. now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, 
I'm hoping they ultimately kill Godview because that means that I don't ever have to do anything with Godview again, right? Right. You know, I always say, like, don't ever write software that you don't want to support for the rest of your life because that's kind of how it works. And, uh, you know, if they if these guys eventually get the new Godview to be, um, you know, 100% feature, um, you know, feature for feature complete or whatever, and then, then they'll kill it off. But at this point, it's not there. It's like 60%. Or 70%. I, don't, I mean, I don't know. Something like that. It's really slick. But, and of course, there's reliability issues. It's still not quite there. But um, <laughs> the new name for it, they call it Heaven. <laughs> I'm like, that is a terrible name. <laughs> I'd like, it should be called Olympus. <laughs> you know, or whatever. Godview 2, Electric Boogaloo. Or <laughs> I don't know. But uh, it's like, Heaven's just a little too churchy for me. I'm like, I don't know. What kind of stuff are you working on in Uber at the moment, though, are you allowed to say? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm just, um, I'm continuing to work on the, um, what's called the dashboard, the real-time dashboard for the grid. So, do you remember how, you know, guy, people, anybody who's been listening to the show for a long time will remember that we used to have a single node process per city. Initially, it was just San Francisco, right? There was just one dispatch system for San Francisco, and then we had one for New York, and one for DC and Seattle, and then then it started. Growing. But then San Francisco got to the point that it was like, you know, wasn't gonna wasn't gonna be able to survive New Year's, which is our biggest night, on a single process, no matter how much profiling and efficiency um, stuff we did. So Amos and I built out this new grid architecture, distributed it, so you could have multiple. You just add in workers. Well, now we have like. They're like 20 workers for New York and 30 workers for Chicago now. I mean, it's just crazy. And so now you have, you know, we have like 80 some odd cities around the world. And a ton of these cities have, you know, even the smaller cities have like four or six workers now, it seems like. And, you know, and the bigger ones can have like 20 or 30 or more workers. And so keeping track of what workers are on what servers or what city and what's going on with them, what's the memory and the CPU and what's going on in the log, you know, just tracking and moving stuff around. And I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot. There's a lot, there's a lot Sounds of complexity. Like it, yeah. and, and, you know, when stuff goes wrong, it's, it's, you know, you know, we have a lot of built-in things that try and help alert it, but you really want to keep an eye. You want some kind of, you know, real-time dashboard to keep an eye on the health of everything. And so I built this thing. And so it's, you, a lot of the guys will look in and manage it ma- and manage the process and watch stuff and turn stuff on and off and move stuff around and whatever. But then it's also on the big screens. It's kind of constant rotation. So everybody can see it, you know, <laughs> like, you know, war games when you had like yeah. the big uh, super screens, we have like some big screens up and they have like, and one of them is the, is the real time dashboard that has all this stuff. So I'm working with George and I are working together. George is doing all the backend stuff and George will call me. He's like, or, or text me, be like, Hey, can you add this, this, and this? Um, sure. <laughs> and I just build stuff. So I'm just nice. kind of, you know, although Amos, Amos, who runs the dispatch team now, or they call it real time because it's all real time system stuff. And there's a team of 11 or 12 people now. And growing up, probably like 14 by the time I get up there next. And he's like, we need, we need a new, he's like, what, we need to do another black ops. You know, because he and I went rogue and built the grid against what everyone else who was, in engineering and involved that stuff wanted to do and because he and i were convinced that it wasn't gonna that a single city process wasn't going to handle it and so we just went rogue and just built it ourselves and it ended up saving the day so it was kind of a cool story and mm-hmm. 
So Amos is like, we need a new black ops. He's like, what should we do? <laughs> so he was like, you know, so we were kind of brainstorming on, you know, what we could do. Cause he's, I know, I think he knows the dashboard. I mean, dashboard works and it's cool and it's been useful, but I mean, it's, I'm a, I mean, I'm underutilized. I mean, it's sort of right. really kind of easy for me. And he's thinking like, let's do something badass. And because I'm not really on the books. <laughs> I'm kind of like, you know, I'm kind of like, you know, they, the movies they have the guy who's an assassin. He doesn't really exist. Like, I don't really report to anyone. I don't do peer reviews. I don't tell people what I'm doing. I'm just like, you call me up and you're like, we got a mission for you. It's like born identity, <laughs> you know? And so he knows that with me helping out that he can say, hey, Jason, let's go after something really nasty. Like, let's do something crazy, you right. know? And so we were kind of brainstorming stuff on Friday a little bit on what those what that might be. Because I was trying to think, I'm like, what could we do? I'm trying to think, like, what would be super awesome that we could just kind of, like, do and and then just be like, ta-da, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Which well, is what you want to do. You have some ideas, right? We had a couple ideas, but I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, we had some things that were pretty cool, but I'm not sure it's the level of awesomeness that... Um, I'd like. I want something that's kind of, uh, yeah, just sort of shock and awe, awesome. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I, you know. I don't know. I mean, everybody likes that, but, you know. But so you you said you you texted me. You said you had some kind of idea for Uber. Something Uber. Well, it, I don't know if it's an idea. It's just like I, I'm a user and I'm running into this problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's a problem, but anyway, Claude. Is an Uber driver. Claude is an Uber driver. Claude is an Uber driver, an Uber X driver. Okay. Who basically has a great car, a Mercedes. So, you know, Uber X is just definitely the cheapest of any of the Ubers. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But he has a great car, like really, really nice. And, but he, it's not an SUV. It's not like a, or, or a black car. But he's happy doing Uber X. He, he likes it. He, he enjoys it. He's a great guy from, um, I think it's from Romania. Uh, so you want to use Claude when so, he's available. So I, w- I want to use Claude, right? And and I do use Claude. He's one of your favorite like, drivers. That, I mean, basically, I have his number. And I'm, I hope I'm not getting into trouble here. But I text him and I'm like, because he's better than any other Uber X driver that I've met. He's just the best driver. How many Uber X drivers have you used? <sighs> Five or six. So you've actually used Uber X a lot. Yeah. You don't use Uber, yeah. You'd use Uber X. Uber X. Because it's just so much cheaper. It's, it's just much better value. Right. Mm-hmm. So when you find someone, but he's also got great stories, right? He's mm-hmm. a really good guy to talk to. Like, and he's just like, just, I actually enjoy the trips with him because we just have a good laugh as well. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's European and he's just, he's a very interesting guy. So every time I, like, I have to kind of, I have to send him a, a kind of a text message, say, are you okay? Then he has to come over here. Uh, like he, he comes over and then I, and then we kind of try and initiate the Uber thing. And so it, like regularly it will hook it to some other guy. And I'll have to cancel, cancel it. Trip. Yeah, I'll have to cancel the trip. Like, why can't I just have this relationship? Why can't I just have this one guy who I work with? So you want to say, so you, what you want to do is after a trip, maybe you want to you tag a guy as your favorite. Add this driver to my favorites list, mm-hmm. right? And you could end up having three favorites ordered by your first choice, second choice, third choice or something. Exactly. Like that. And so when you're in that city and you go request, it says, do you want to prioritize your favorites? That would be bright. That would be awesome. That would be really awesome. That's be- interesting. Maybe that could be the black ops. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's- I mean, I, I mean, it's just, it's just because you, when you use Uber a lot, you run into a lot of people. Now, the funny thing is someone or something or some algorithm is tracking my behavior, 
because every time this happens, it gives me a pro tip. Pro tip, Uber is an on-demand service. You don't need to schedule with a driver. That's, that's a pop-up that I get because I keep on using the same driver. But mm. I want to use the same driver. Like that's, that's value to me, mm-hmm. you know? Interesting. Well, you know, uh, I think Derek Sivers talked about this. Like one of the reasons that you want to have a small product at first is because you want to see where people use it. And, how before, and, and it's like, they, I think he was using the analogy, like you don't want to pave the sidewalks until you see where people are walking through the grass. And then you can see, you know, where the paths that naturally get created. Yeah. Then you pave the sidewalk. Right. I mean, I don't know. So the question is, is your is that common behavior or is that an idiosyncrasy well, no, of Justin Vincent? No, it's common behavior because – and the interesting thing is like I, I don't think it's allowed behavior. So, Claude, I, I have noticed that a lot of Uber drivers have offered me their, their card, right? And I don't think they're supposed to do that. Claude didn't offer me a card, but furthermore, he doesn't have cards. And isn't that just the way that like the one that you actually want to – to have this kind of regular use of doesn't have a card. <laughs> so we had yeah. to like manually swap numbers. But it, I only got the idea because so many other drivers offered cards. You know what I mean? So, so, so it kind of made me think, huh, if they're all offering cards, I guess that'd be kind of useful. I guess if you did like someone, want, you know, if you did ever find someone you liked, it'd be good to like have their contact details. So, yeah. Interesting. Huh. Well, uh, you know, why not? I'll, I'll bring it up with them. I bring up my name. It was funny because you were texting me. You're like, "Why don't you do this?" And I'm like, "Dude, I have no influence over the product direction of Uber, right? Do you understand? There's like 150 developers, and there's like 700 people work at Uber now. We're in 80 cities, and I don't know how many countries. It's massive. So, and and they're and they're like release their version stack that so we have. What's going on in the version next version? The version after that? Like, there's a whole set of features and UI stuff. Everything that goes into that. So the fact that I'm gonna like, hey guys. We should do this school. <laughs> like anyone gives a crap, I know, right? Yeah. I mean, like it's just, it's just. But silly. I mean, this is but, better. This is better for the customer and for the driver. Yeah, but uh, what I'm saying is, even if it's a great idea, I'm I don't necessarily, and I do not have the influence to go in and then just make it a reality. But coincidentally, Amos co- coming to me and saying, "Hey, we got to come up you, with do something." Do you need to use an Uber <coughs> soon? What's that? Do you need to use Uber soon? Why? Because you should you should take Claude and you'll see what I mean. I always take the uh, black car because I get free credits. Oh, you, of course you get free credits. I go I go upscale. Okay. <laughs> but I almost never use um, Uber in LA because I don't ever need to. Oh, you don't to go to the even to go to the airport. You take your car to the airport and then park. Yeah, because you know I get. Um, well, first of all, it costs a fortune to go to the airport from here. No, not if it's not if it's UberX. How much does UberX cost? Forty bucks. Okay, well, I guess I could take an Uber X, but um, I I just go and park. That's and max, by the way. It's usually between thirty-five and forty. Really? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Well, because when I when I took with tra- if you're at traffic and you're a black car, it could be like a hundred bucks, and I'm like, and I get three hundred every if you, every employee of Uber and me, I guess gets three hundred and thirty uh, Uber credits a month, right? So if I was back and forth at the airport and that's two hundred gone, that's a lot. Because when I'm up in San Francisco once a month. I want to go to and back from the airport and then I want a few intercity in case there's any like, you know, hey, let's meet for dinner and it's like another side of San Francisco or something. So I guess I could take an Uber X airport. That might be a bad, bad deal. And that will, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I'll give you Claude's number and then you can see what I'm, what I'm talking Claude, about. Claude's the man. He, he honestly, he's a, he's a really funny guy. Well, speaking of driving, <laughs> let's talk Tesla. 
Oh, oh my God. It's like 250 or something. Well, you know, it's funny. I had on my notes. <laughs> I had on my notes like a couple weeks ago or after the show, like Uber breaks 200. That was the topic I was going to bring up. But even like that was two and a half weeks ago. Now it's, it broke 250. Uber breaks 200? I mean, I'm sorry. Tesla. Tesla yeah. Tesla breaks 200. And that's, which is really funny because in like three weeks, it's like old news. Like except it was up at, it went as high as in the 260 range, but it's been hovering around 250 for the past week and a half, two weeks, which is amazing, isn't it? Um, George's grand, George's granddad, he, he knows that I have the one Tesla share. <laughs> so, he's always saying, you got, you got in right. You got in at the right time with your share. I say, yeah, my, my other pal, he bought like 10,000 worth at 30 or something like that. So, well, yeah, I, I, I just wish that we had put in more, but you know, we yeah. didn't have more money at the time, but, uh, there are our buddy Ben Reyes put oh, his yeah. life savings in at 30. I'm like, oh my God, like that guy, he killed it killed it so two but you know what you know the thing about see here's the thing about tesla and elon musk specifically is that he is thinking bigger and longer term than everybody else so when all of these analysts wall street analysts say well looking at the debt and the equity ratio and the capital utilization and units sell that you know we're going to put it as a hold or downgrade. It's like, you guys have no idea what you're even talking about. Tesla is a completely different animal. What Elon Musk is doing, you can't look at, you can't look at Tesla and compare it to, you know, Toyota or Hyundai and say, well, this is how these other companies operate and this is kind of how this is going to happen. It's like, you have no idea. He's a complete X factor. Well, when they IPO'd, I was reading that it, they were at a loss the previous year was at a pretty massive loss. So, what, you know, what's the market going to make of that? You know, oh, this company just—they—they they made a loss. Like, where are they going? They didn't really know it was going to prove itself in the way that it did. Yeah, you know, I mean, it wasn't until later. I mean, you know, it wasn't until later when I really started list, uh, watching all these interviews with him, and I started to feel like I got inside his mind. A little. You know, when you watch like ten hour-long interviews and read everything, you're like, okay, I see how this guy's thinking now. Like, I feel like, you know, you know, I get it. I get what he's trying to do, and I and I and I see how he thinks. And it's and what he thinks is impressive. And so I'm like, okay, you know, he's not an algorithm that like, I can predict what he's going to say, you know, like all these other MBA suit types who are running these companies, like you must predict what they're going to do. It's like a very simple algorithm, but he's not. And so you, you can't really predict in in that way. In fact, what he's thinking is going to be, you know, what we, you know, uh, always say is outside the box thinking, but he really is thinking outside the box um, and people can't predict it. The whole gigafactory thing, they're going to build the biggest battery factory in the entire world that's going to double the world's capacity, and it's going to be all using its own energy from solar and, <laughs> and wind. I mean, all this, I mean, it's like, who would have predicted that, right? Mm. But yet, if you're inside Tesla and he's sitting here with his you know, top people going, okay, look, guys, we got to increase capacity to X. If we're really going to kill it over the next decade, what do we need to do? And the guys are like, okay, what are our choke points? And then the one guy says, well, obviously b- batteries, we can only get X of batteries because this battery company, and he's like, all right, how do we get around that? Mm-hmm. You know, and they exactly. just start thinking, build our own factory. Okay, cool. Can we do that? Let's run the numbers. Let's see how we do, you know, they just, they don't constrain themselves to like the normal. Now, are they just building car batteries or are they going to build any kind of battery? Um, I don't know. I mean, I've read a couple articles, but I didn't hear them specify that exactly. I think they're probably going to just focus on, you know, on, on um, 
car batteries, but I, you could imagine that they could easily sell batteries to anybody and everything. I mean, they could be supplying it to cell phones and everything else. And, you know, maybe that would be a, uh, a powerful additional revenue source. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it all, it's always a trade-off if, like, you know, if they have this massive factory that they're thinking, okay, this is what's going to allow us to scale our production capacity over the next decade. However, even if we do get enough batteries, we're going to have more capacity to develop batteries than to other things for the first five to eight years or something. So when that in that interim period, why don't we sell these batteries to other car, electric car manufacturers, or maybe even to you know computer, you know laptop manufacturers or cell phone manufacturers? I mean, why not? Assuming that it wasn't an, ex, an, an, an extremely high additional cost for um, tooling the factory. But yeah. I don't know. I'm not an expert on factory, you know, on, on creating a factory. But um, that's there's, kinda... so, there's so much time. I, I mean, I could have <clears throat> I could have bought I could have put ten thousand in at a hundred. And then I'd double my money. I mean, there's so many, there's so many times I could have gone in. Well, it's it's psychologically extremely difficult to miss an entry point at a much lower price and then jump on later. It's extremely difficult because at that time when it hit, hit like seventy or something, and 70, I mean, I was like, or even when it was like fifty or sixty. You're like, oh, I missed it. And, no, but that's the same with everybody is. I mean, we're all like that. I mean, but the, the worst thing is, and here's the reason why, like. I didn't. I didn't behave that way with Bitcoin. I'm like, okay, I'm going to buy in at the 800. So I bought in three at 800 or around that region, and now it's at like five or six. Yeah. So that's the reason why you, we don't want to do it. Well, here's the like, pro- here's the thing, of, and and you've been and and you you've actually been lamenting that a couple of times. You said a couple of times, yeah. oh, it's not for. You see, you cannot really make money investing if you let it get to you. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, if you're like, if you're if you're playing the long game and you're like. I don't care what the price of Bitcoin is over the next three or four years. I don't care. This is mm-hmm. five to ten year investment. I don't even care. If it goes down, and in fact, if it drops, all I care is great. I'll buy some more. So, like for me, I don't care if te- I would not care if Tesla fell down to ninety bucks. I would just buy a bunch of it. You know, right. in fact, when it did that initial drop, when it got up, to, it was at thirty, and then it got up to like, I don't know what it was, sixty or seventy, and it dropped back down to like the mid thirties or something. And then I seen and I bought a whole another big chunk of it. You know, I was like, you know. Because I, I don't, I don't care what the rest of the world thinks. I think the rest of the world is mostly stupid. I care, you know. I've done the research on this particular topic. You know, I believe in the investment. I believe in the company. I believe in the the CEO. So if the price goes down, I mean, it's cheaper. So for Bitcoin, if Bitcoin drops, that's why you should only invest in things that you really understand and really believe in. So that when the price drops, you don't get shaken and go, "Oh God, you know, but it's sell." You're like, "Sweet, buy more." That's how that's how Buffett makes so much money. He's like he has liquidity, and when the price drop, when we go into tough economic times, and the price drop, and everyone's everyone's like chicken little, the sky's falling and flipping out. He's like, I'll buy some of that, and I'll buy some of that. He just goes discount shopping. That's all he's doing, you know. Mm-hmm. But everybody else, they don't really have. Nobody does the research. They just read what other analysts say, and they're and they're superficial studies and and then and so they don't have any real um well i hope you have another thing like tesla that i can get in on earlier <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, i think t- these tesla kind of things only come around every once so often i don't know you know i mean it's they always come around i mean it's like 
But I think it's thing is you can't look for them. They kind of just present, come up front and you go, okay, this is obvious. Right. Right. You can't, because if you're looking for them, you're trying too hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're trying to talk yourself into investing in something thinking, oh, this, this, this could be really good, isn't it? couldn't it? Or wait, no, yes, I, I'm excited about that. You know, it's like you're kind of trying to force it. Like you wait for something like is so awesome. You're like, wait a minute, this is just, you know, obvious. Um, I don't know. So, uh, <clears throat> It made me think of something else. I want to bring something else up. Yeah, because I, I bought Litecoin at the time mm-hmm. when we had said, oh, you know what went up a lot? Litecoin. So mm-hmm. I bought Litecoin. And like, it's just gone nothing but down. Mm-hmm. Nothing but down since the day I bought it. Right. <laughs> well, you know, it's like, again, it's like, but you don't really know much about any of that stuff. Right, right. Exactly. The problem is you're investing in stuff you don't know anything about. I'm an uneducated investor. So just invest in something that you do know about. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I know what I was thinking about. So I was I watched this great interview with uh, Peter Thiel, who was along with Elon Musk. They were like the CEOs of different uh, different types of PayPal. Peter Thiel's a major investor in the Aubrey de Grey sense. Yeah, he does a, yeah. does a lot of sort of uh, moonshot kind of things. He's 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 the one who was investing in all those kids coming to high school, saying, so "Don't go to college. I'll invest in you." And yeah, and uh, he he was a big investor in um in um. Facebook is one of the first big investors made a ton of money and he's extremely wealthy, super, super bright guy. Um, and, uh, there's this interview, I think it was a talk he gave, uh, it was probably sometime in the last six months and he starts talking about how at different times, different countries are in different states of mind, either between, okay, so you, you know how like the, the, you have the consultants grid, the X and Y axis. So it's like, um, optimistic or pessimistic, um, deterministic or undeterministic. So are you pessimistic and deterministic? That's pretty bad, right? Like, you know it's going to happen and you think it's bad. <laughs> or you think something's bad, it's pessimistic, uncertain. It's like, you, you're you pessimistic, you're not really sure what's going to happen, but you're pretty sure it's not going to be great. You're like, you don't know what's going to happen, but it feels kind of bad. Or optimistic, uncertain. I mean, he's like, you know, I'm not really sure how things will work out, but I just generally think things will go up and get better versus optimistic, deterministic. Like, yeah, these great things are going to happen. And he's talking about how, like, you know, different countries, like Japan was in the pessimistic, uncertain. And we were at one point, I think in the 50s or 60s, more like optimistic, deterministic. But now we're kind of more in the optimistic, uncertain, not deterministic. And he's talking about how it was, it was really interesting. He's like, about how um, you either believe in calculus or you believe in statistics. So in calculus, you believe there is a right answer. I can calculate the optimum, that there is an answer. Whereas statistic, it's more like, well, on the average, this should happen or these kind of things will happen. And it's talking about how like investors, so people don't, the thing is that people don't know what to do with their money right now. Nobody feels, people believe that they don't know what's going to happen. So they both give their money to uh, put their money into banks or into mutual funds, then diversify it amongst a lot of different things because nobody knows what's going to happen. But if you look at, all the people who become very successful financially, they they felt that they had some degree of control over the future. They put they were all their eggs were in one basket in 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 their startup, their company that they built up. You know, um, all the founders we've talked about the ones who've gone from nothing to worth hundreds of millions or billions. I mean, they didn't do it by diversifying in mutual funds. They did it because they were all in on something. And usually something that they really understood and really controlled, and they really had an impact on. Mm, and, that uh, makes sense. 
Yeah, that's, you know, even Buffett would say, say things like that. I mean, yeah, he, you know, there's a certain amount of diversification to what he does for sure, but he would always like, he's like, when, you know, when you see opportunities, be greedy, go all in, like really put money behind it. And that's why, like, I put all my money on Tesla. And I mean, so I'm like wrapped up in two things. I mean, Tesla and Uber. <laughs> that's like everything. That's my entire net be. worth are those two things. I mean, I guess we have some of our IRA stuff and some fidelity stuff that Sandy has had for a long time, but. You know, um, uh, yeah, but anyway, I'll put a link to that talk. I think T- Peter Thiel is one of these guys. Yeah, I'd love to see that. It's a, it's a fascinating interview. Um, he's just one of those people who like every time I listen to it, it's like he's, he's, he's always kind of a, he's, he's very much an independent thinker for that's for sure, but he's kind of a contrarian. He always says things that I've never heard anyone else say, you know, and just like Elon Musk, they will say things and do things that nobody else has said or done that I can recall. And that's the kind of people want to listen to. Like, huh. You know, a lot of times you use people and you're like, they just say things that, yeah, that's smart and kind of insightful, but I feel like I've heard that before. I kind of thought that, you know, and you hear a lot of these like successful, you know, uh, entrepreneurs or VCs and they get up and they say things about, you know, you gotta be focused or you gotta do this or you gotta go with trends. I mean, it's like, yeah, it's, that's all, True, kind of, but uh, yeah, I knew that kind of already. Everybody kind of knew that. But I don't think Peter Thiel always says things like, interesting of looking at that, like the, how the uncertain, certain, optimistic, pessimistic, and how no one knows what to do with their money and all that stuff. I'm like, that is a really interesting worldview. Like, it's an interesting <laughs> prism to look at things through. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes when I'm working on stuff that isn't like very mentally challenging, I'll turn on YouTube video, you know, interview. You know, talks and stuff like that and, and so that that was a talk on youtube where 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 was it again oh i'll it, who knows it was no i mean like, i mean like was it a, like event? a yeah yeah the event yeah i don't remember what it was what, so what it does peter Thiel? is there a product that he's famous for or is he just an investor like Buffett? so he he started uh the precursor to uh paypal um and i'm blanking on the name of it and then x he, no, that was um, uh, Elon Musk's okay. company. And X.com, Cofinity. It's called Cofinity. Or okay. Cofin- yeah. And then they, he, he kind of a per acquisition slash merger with Cofinity Co- or Cofinity or whatever. And and then Elon was, I think, the CEO for a while. And then he the board kicked him off or something. And then Peter Thiel was... I see. So they, this and, kind of come from a similar yeah, place. but in, and they was called the 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 PayPal mafia because you had like Max Levchin who did like SlideShare and I think some other stuff, and then the uh, Reed Hoffman who did LinkedIn and uh, the guy. Uh, so what did he do Fiverr after Starbucks. that? Who Peter Thiel? Peter Thiel, yeah. Um, I think he just went straight into investing. So he, you know, like in the movie The Social Network, you remember the guy when who does his first big invest, the, the first big investment that, into Facebook? Yeah. That was the the guy character playing Peter Oh, that's Thiel. Peter Thiel. Oh. Yeah. He, the, the character that guy was on, the, the guy who played Peter Thiel's char- uh, character was um, from the Larry, Larry Sanders show, the writer from Larry Sanders show. Remember that? <laughs> I know it's taken aback, but um, I'm trying to think. Uh but you know, he just he just uh, invests. He has Clarion Capital, which is a big hedge fund, um, which I don't think did all that well. It wasn't for a while because he was making these big macro bets on uh, on things like uh, oil and gas and other kind of things and other terms of uh, also like trading the U.S. dollar versus some other currencies. And these all these macro bets were very intelligent. I mean, I I think he was fundamentally right in the way he was thinking about things. But as is the case with the market, it, timing is everything. You can be a year 
I mean, especially if you're talking big macro things, it's a complex adaptive system. Mm. So you can just be a little behind, a little ahead of the curve, and it can take a huge toll. And there's a famous saying that the that the market can stay irrational longer than you can stay liquid. <laughs> so we were like, this doesn't make any sense. It's like, well, it doesn't matter to make a sense. It's going to be irrational, and you know, you might get a margin call before. You know, that's why whenever you do put money in, you only want to put in what you can afford to lose because if it could just evaporate you know yeah so um one, one other thing i didn't take any notes i'm just talking i mean this whole day i you know i was going to uh i usually like to bring the list of the topics that i'm gonna bring up but i right before i came over to your place i went into my office and my computer was dead because the plug got kicked <laughs> out of it and it was just running and so i couldn't turn on had all my notes on my computer so i can't freak any any well, got some of you want well i want to i want to talk about the math theme stuff real quick oh yeah go so um, the uh, the big we're coming up with a big math field day event at the end of um, March, and so now we're teaching them like actual problem solving strategies, as opposed to just teaching them like the fundamental skills, which is really interesting because it's not just like you know what's the area of you know a parallelogram or something like that. It's like these very difficult problems that have no clear solution and you have to you you have to tr- tackle with different strategies and i got this book from the math olympiad it was like a problem problem solving book um and it breaks into like i think 10 problem solving strategies based on a book by george polia who was this this very famous uh mathematician he wrote a book a famous book called how to solve it and you know so you would have like you know Working backwards, uh, drawing a diagram, solving a simpler, breaking into a simpler problem, solving that first guess and check, you know, all these different things. So when you when you show these problems to a kid and they're looking at it, there's like, well, I don't know how to do that. It's like, well, that's how the world is, right? Now, how do you attack it? And it's interesting because some of the kids are getting it. Like, so we actually have them like here. We've taught them four problem-solving heuristics and we, and we you know, we, we you know, give them different problems that fit in the category and they have to write down the strategy that they're going to try. They, they think their first attack strategy and then they go and try and do it and put them in the teams. And so that's been pretty cool, actually, because that's more like real math hmm. as opposed to just teaching them like formulas. It's like, how do you think? Like, um, so so there's, there's multiple ways that you can solve the same problem. Oftentimes. Do you end up with the same number at the end of it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. sometimes it's like, you can put into an you can find an equation that you can use to solve it. Sometimes you made a table of relative values. Sometimes you find a pattern, and you know there's different ways. Who, which kid kind of likes that fact the most? I think I think most of them do. They they like it. I they they, they like, like it. approaching it from different angles. You, you know I you know so Sandy I was away you know the I missed Thursday's class because up in San Francisco and so Sandy had them broke them into teams of two and um, and uh, she gave them like there were like five four or five problems and they had to do it and uh she's like they were having a really good time because because this because they give them real proud of themselves and they fix them it's like a puzzle mm-hmm. you know like i got it you know I, you know yeah. and um so we took oh well we, uh, I, you know it's been since a while since it's been a while since we've done the show so i forgot to say this so i had to give the test to figure out so you have 18 kids in the class what are the eight kids that are going to be in the math field day event right so i gave him a test and it was actually pretty pretty tricky test and um, uh, we gave it to the kids, and it was kind of interesting. There was a clear bifurcation between the kids who 
did pretty well. At least got 75% and some kids who just got completely smoked, got like a 20% mm-hmm. or whatever. And, and I was asking the kids before, so everybody raise your hand. I'm like, who studied for the test? You know, who did their homework? Who did stuff? And it was pretty, pretty highly correlated. The kids who've been doing the work are doing well. Right? Yeah, which is that you, as you'd expect, it wasn't like like this mythical math genius who's just back there and just doesn't have to do any work. It's like yeah, all the kids who are working hard and doing the homework, and these parents are staying on top of them and helping them a little bit are the kids who are are doing well. So, um, and you know, Kobe did well. He got I was I was hoping he would win it. He got fourth, just missed third, which was pretty good. I, I had to, although he missed like three problems that I'm like Kobe. Like, are you kidding me? How did you miss that? Like, you know, but, um, but he's in it. Oh yeah. He was, well, yeah, he's, he's, he was number four, the top eight. There were two teams of four. The, the top eight get broken. We're going to break the, the two teams of four. And then there's two alternates. And, uh, it was interesting. It was, it was, the kids were psyched who made it. Right. It was like a lot of pride. The kids that made it were really excited. Of course, I tricked me with the other kids. I tried to make the other kids not feel too bad about it. Cause I'm like, look, we're taking a national test. Everybody's doing in April, middle of April. So like, this is just one event. But also at the same time, I wanted the kids who made it like, yeah, you know, you guys work for it. Like, you know, you should feel good. And, um, and a lot of the parents were really happy. They were like, yeah, thanks for doing all this. And some of the parents who, their kids missed it. Like, Hey, can you send back the test? I want to find out like what they missed. Cause some of those kids did study kind of hard and they still didn't do it, mm. do well. And I'm like, yeah, that you should go over their test with them and work through problems. Um, so, uh, Oh, what was I going to say about? Oh, so, so we're trying to figure out like the way it works. You have two teams of four, and the the test's an hour and a half. Or there's three thirty minute sections. There's a thirty minute individual section. There's a thirty minute section where they have two problems, and and then they have a thirty minute section working on a one problem. And it's two of four. So I said, you know, we're trying to figure out like should we have a you know break the kids up so we have like one of kind of each type of thinker or something or whatever. You know, two kids that are both really fast on team and two kids that are good at writing out answers. They have really good handwriting. But the way I, just, the, way I the idea I came up with and I convinced Sandy to do is we have the loud kids, the loud, pushy, overconfident kids, and then we have the quiet, more thoughtful kids. <laughs> because one of the key things is getting the kids to work together. And some of the kids are really quiet. And, you know, Colby and Riley, McCarley, they're just so you so you've put the you've got a, a you ha, you're not matching loud with quiet you're doing one group quiet one group loud yeah the loud group and the quiet group okay <laughs> you know the alphas and the betas because you know if you if we put like Kent and Amelia or whatever with Colby and Riley Colby and Riley aren't going to listen re- to them that's very interesting so wh- which group do you think has has a better you know they're pretty equally matched in terms of firepower I the loud team might have a little bit of an edge. But I, you know, the, the challenge that the loud team is going to have is that they're not going to listen to each other, mm-hmm. that they're all going to think they're right. And they're all going to be elbowing each other out of the way, kind of, so to speak. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, am I, I'm right. This is how I do it. With a quiet team, you know, you can imagine that they would listen to each other, but they all may be just so quiet that nobody's taking the lead. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I mean, it's like hard. To, it's hard to say. Um, but we had the problem is we had to give the names out right away before we could really determine you know, we we, did, I, we really didn't give ourselves enough chance to have the work as these teams to figure out what would be the optimal team. So I just said, look, I I think our best chance of having the kids to work together is dividing my personality. And nobody's going to shut Riley down. Nobody's going to shut Colby down, right? Their voice is going to get heard. Mm. 
And so we might as well put them with the other ones like them. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see how it goes. So yeah. McCar- so it's Riley. Riley, Colby, Colby McCarley. McCarley, and George. And, and George, George is, George is this, he's, I call him the speed demon. He's really fast. <laughs> and he's one who's really cocky, but he barely made the team because I don't think he studied. He was like, at, he had like seventh place. And I'm like, George, George, uh, what are we talking? What are we, you know, yeah, you did well on a couple previous tests, but no, you got to do the work, dude. Yeah. And you almost didn't make the team. And he think he got a little shock, like, yeah, <laughs> you know, you know, and, uh, um, and, uh, you know, it's funny. I was talking to Colby about this. So Sandy said that in class on Thursday when they were doing the problems, she's like, Colby and George won it. And the only problem they missed, they missed because at the early on, like McCarley and Riley, like everyone was kind of yelling out their answers a little bit before mm-hmm. Sandy said, don't yell your answers. You don't give them away to the team. And George and Colby and George changed their answer to what Riley and McCarley had yelled out. And it was the wrong one. So they had it right. Yeah, they had it right. And I said, see, Colby, what did you learn? I said, first of all, you don't listen to other people. Trust your own logic. You and George work together. Don't worry about what other people are doing. And and because he'd always say, well, Riley's smarter than Matt. I'm like, no. I'm like, I'm looking at your test scores. You're right there, dude. You guys are all right there. I was like, you know, <laughs> but, you know, these kids get in and they just think one kid's, well, he's smarter than me or this and that. I'm like, dude. Like, he beat you by a point on one test, you know? I mean, and then you beat him another one. I mean, don't just listen. It's like it all comes down. Do the work. You guys are both doing the work. Trust your gut, you know? And I said, it really just, you know, depends on who's doing it. So anyway, so I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited to see how they do. Um, so that'll be the end of March. So we have an update. All right. Well, um, that's, uh, we've done two hours. Yeah, I think that's enough, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I have... Uh, stuff to to talk about if you want but i think we're we're, we're pretty good right i think we're good i think uh, i gotta i gotta actually gotta get back i mean so, the only other one i was going to bring up is how are humans going to become extinct how are they going to come extinct dr nick bostrom says there's a plausible threat of extension extinction in the next century he's the guy who did the uh um uh nick bostrom does he's at, at oxford or cambridge and he's one of the ancestor simulation stuff right he says the Advance of technology has overtaken our capacity con- to, to control the possible consequences. Uh, not on purpose, uh, by accident. Things like genetic modifications, dismantling and rebuilding genetic structures, uh, risk of unintended sequence of events or something that becomes harmful when transferred into another environment. Uh, the creation of new organisms for agriculture and medicine could have unforeseen ecological side effects. So basically, our own technology, like our, our technology is kind of getting... The interactions of the tech, the new technologies that we're creating, p- pose extinction risks. So you're saying he's pessimistic, uncertain. Yeah, <laughs> pessimistic, uncertain. Anyway, that's another one. Just at least just to put that little link in. Yeah, there. I'd like to read that. I mean, he's a smart guy, and that's interesting. And I think that's that's true, right? I mean, that's one thing I was thinking about. Is like there's so much interesting stuff going on right now in our world. Yeah, there's so much interesting to go. You you can't open the news out without reading five, just you know crazy articles. I mean, it's stuff that's coming about Cox and Bitcoin and Tesla stuff we talk about. Those are just two topics. There's a ton of them that were just super interesting, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just crazy to even try to keep up with this stuff. It's hard. Um, and, and the world just keeps getting more and more complex and more and more. I think, we're, I think the next 20 years is going to be super interesting. Like, 
I couldn't imagine a better time to live. I mean, I, I know that like the 60s had their own kind of charm and 70s and 80s. But for me, like I'm really into this new movement towards the future, like uh, Elon Musk getting to Mars. I mean, just all this kind of stuff like really interests me. I'm I agree. very excited. Very excited. I'm with you. I wouldn't want to go back. I mean, go back in yeah. there pre-internet or pre-computer or whatever i mean i don't yeah. know it sounds kind of uh, that's just boring compared to what we're going on now have you started watching almost human yet you know we watched the first episode we the problem is it it gets better i know no the problem is that there we have episode one and then we have like episode six and later so we have to go on Netflix and we keep like going, okay, because Cindy, I'll be like, or oh, what are we watching that? She's yeah. like, well, we're almost human, but then we got to switch on to Netflix and stuff. And I'm like, ah, screw it. Let's just watch it. It's re- it is it is a really good show and it really talks about all the, the kind of very, very interesting kind of uh, technological concepts. I, I, do, I do recommend it. Yeah. Yeah. I, no, I, I, it's on my list of things I want to watch. I mean, the... That, I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't, it's not like I'm, it's not like I'm not watching it for a reason. It's just, a, it's just slight laziness, but you know, the only one has been, been pretty good is blacklist, the blacklist. Yeah. I, I've, for the same reason, I don't watch it because I, it goes from episode one through and I, to actually watch it, I'm going to have to buy it. Is it on Netflix? I don't know. No, it's not. It's just on. So I've got it on Amazon where I have to spend one ninety nine an episode, which I wouldn't particularly mind. Wow. That's a lot I, of I wouldn't money. particularly mind, but <laughs> actually, you know, he's talking about that. I want to write a blog post about how irritated I get by people saying, I'm not going to buy this iPhone out because it's 99 cents. But yet the same person who goes into like Starbucks and buys a latte. I, mean, I wouldn't write an article about that because that, people have been no, saying that for five No, years. I know. But like people think about like this, there's so many, so many different aspects of software. Like it's not just like software. People just de- devalue the concept of software. Yeah. You well, know? people get stuff for free enough, then they just, they do. It's just, Anyway, so th- because th- there's many, many different examples of it, not just iPhone apps, but um, that's the reason why I, I, I don't watch Blacklist. I've also got so many other great shows to watch. Walking Dead, Walking you're watching Dead. now? You but liking it? it? Oh, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I- I'm even liking, liking the fact that they're focusing in on just a few people. Yeah, don't take anything away on this character. Yeah, that's, that's right. I'm, 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 uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to tonight. So we have a show it's tonight. A switch up. It's coming at eight. Yeah. Eight or nine. Yeah. Tonight. I can't watch it because uh, I don't have cable. Oh, so you have to wait till what tomorrow? Yeah, tomorrow, up on and here. then we watch it on. Yeah, but have you watched True Detective on oh, HBO? Oh, is that the one with? Uh, oh my Ryan? god, that is such a good show. That looked good. I was it's talking, like, so freaking good. It's like one. It's like once again, like Breaking Bad, but actually better than Breaking Bad in some ways. It's like monumental television coming. Like just it looked like that. The I best thought- TV in history. It's just so good. The, it's called True Detective. True Detective. And it has... Um, uh, Matthew McConaughey and, and um, the guy from Cheers. He's really come come a long way. The guy from uh, White Man Can't Jump. I'm blanking on his name. Yeah. Um, What's the character's name from Cheers? That was his, his, That's actually his... Come on. Uh, oh. Why well, can't I remember this? I was speaking about him just the other day. Woody Harrelson. Yeah. Woody Harrelson. That's the man. Yeah. So highly recommended, huh? Oh, so freaking good. Matthew McConaughey, I mean, it's just like changed in my estimation as an actor. Like, he's so good in this. And he he won an Oscar for Best Actor for the for Dallas Buyers Club. Yeah. Just won an Oscar. So obviously, this is the time of Matthew McConaughey. I always thought he did a pretty good job. He did some good jobs from the movies. I remember like Contact was good. Well, Mud, I haven't seen Mud, but apparently that has like gotten really high reviews. Have you heard of the movie Mud? No, I haven't. Well, he starred in that. I mean, that's... If you go to like Rotten Tomatoes or one of those things, it's like 98% or something. 
Yeah. So that's good. So, all right. Well, uh, got some good shows lined up. All right. Well, I'm definitely now you got me all excited about True Detective. It's so good. So, well, the other, the only other show that I highly recommend, other than Walking Dead, that I'm watching now on Blacklist, is Archer. Have you watched? No, you've mentioned Archer. I don't know if I'm into. I'm not into funny stuff. Watch the first episode. Just watch one episode. Archer. Archer. I'm telling everybody listening to this right now. Watch. The first episode of Archer on Netflix. You probably can get it off the web, maybe even, but it is so funny. It's politically politically incorrect to the max. But it is great. <laughs> I mean, it is great. If Art, you like, like Arrested Archer, Development, you'll like oh, Archer. It's like it's Arrested Development on crap. I mean, it is so funny. I love it. Love it. And so, whatever. Like last this last couple weeks, when I've just been stressed out because I've been working so much, and Sandy's like, "Let's just watch an Archer." Like you need to. <laughs> lighten up and uh it, it would do the trick it would always it would always change my mood for certain all right that's it right we're done no more no more last minute links all right that's a wrap we're out we're out